Wednesday, September 6th, reach into the unknown with Dr. Strange. Do you believe in evil? You're telling me you're a sorcerer. Don't defy me, Stephen, or I'll take my pleasure from you in another way. John Mills is the power of good. Jessica Walter is the power of evil. And mankind's fate hangs in the balance. Peter Hooten stars as the man in the middle, Dr. Strange. Will the forces of evil conquer the forces of good on Earth? Dr. Strange, a special two-hour presentation, Wednesday, September 6th at 8, 7 Central and Mountain. Defenders and Dormammu, welcome to a very special edition of Marvel vs. Marvel. Hey, it's a podcast where a comedian who has never read a Marvel comic book before in his life watches a Marvel movie or a Marvel TV show or a Marvel TV movie and then quizzes someone who is a Marvel expert, a comedian that was taught to read with Marvel comics. I'm one half of your hosts. My name is Rob Halden. I'm a comedian. I'm a writer. I'm the Marvel expert. And joining me on my Marvel journey, on his Marvel journey, really, it's man powered entirely by ignorance. It's Mr. Will Preston. Hello. Uh, this podcast really is all about me. It's uh, my journey. <laughs> uh, you're just along for the ride, Rob. I mean, I've pe- had my journey. People, people like to think you're steering the ship, but no, it's me. It's my it's journey. Sh- well, the captain uh, doesn't own the ship. The That's ca- the, the thing to remember. The captain doesn't own the ship. He, he doesn't. He doesn't. But I do. You'd be like the CEO of the air, of the of the freighter company. I'm the rich millionaire at the start. The ignorant at, boy at the start. Whose parents at, died, and he owns now a shipping company. At the start of the monster film, who finances the entire thing, <laughs> only to be killed in early on in the film in a really humiliating way. Maybe on the toilet, like that bloke from Jurassic Park. Maybe like that. <laughs> Donald Donald Gennaro was his name. Death on the toilet within the first couple of minutes. You heard at the top of the show the uh, the trailer for Doctor Strange on CBS. CBS. This is our very special episode to coincide with the release of Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. We're going back to 1978, the very first screen adaptation of Doctor Strange, the very first Doctor Strange movie, albeit a TV movie. On the CBS network in America, that's what we're looking at today. Um, we're very—I'm so jazzed to be doing this '70s special. Will I—I'm I, jazzed too because I—I I have been looking forward to this because we have delved into some of the weirder Marvel before Marvel films, but this is something else. This is something else, and not only that, I really hope it leads us to deal with the Lou Ferrigno, Bill Bixby, Incredible Hulk. That's tough as well. It's all to come. We've, yeah. we've. This is the furthest back we've ever been. We've looked at Howard the Duck, the first Marvel theatrical movie. Some would say the best Marvel theatrical movie. And we've looked. We've gone behind the MCU by yep. looking at Blade, by looking at Spider Man and the X Men. Mm-hmm. But this, this right here, is the furthest back we've ever been, and this is the first time that the adaptation of a character is coming out during what I would call the golden age of that character. Yeah. That's never happened before. Usually you have this great period in the character's history 
and then several decades or years later a movie or a TV show comes out this is happening right bang in the middle of Doctor Who's golden age Doctor Who uh, no, the other one, Doctor Strange. One of the I many... do that interchangeably. Coming many... up, yeah, sorry. <laughs> coming up, we go behind the scenes on the production of the very first Doctor Strange movie. We dive into the seventies history of Marvel magic. How did Doctor Strange become the Sorcerer Supreme? What's so strange about Doctor Strange's house? And why is Doctor Strange suddenly wearing a big blue mask? It's all here in this episode. Don't go anywhere. Will, you're not going anywhere, are you? Uh, or are you? Where I, are you going? I, I, mate, I'm all about the gaff. I am everywhere and ev- anywhere at once. Uh, you can. <clears throat> I, I'm going to Germany soon. Uh, so you won't be able to... If, if, you, if you manage to listen to us on Monday the 9th and you're in London, I will be at... Uh, on Monday the 9th, uh, so far so funny, at St. Christopher's at the Inn... In London, that's uh, near. That's in Borough High Street. That's London Bridge area. I'm looking forward to that one, as it's one of the very, very few gigs that I can actually walk to. <laughs> Fergie will go to the wrong gig. Fergie, Fergie from the Black Eyed Peas. You said it's a London Bridge area. She'll go to the wrong place. It's a very niche reference to. She did a song called London Bridge, oh, but in the video they filmed tower. the video on Tower Bridge. This but I just. It was big pop news for about Which, five days, yeah, 20 I, years ago. I remember this. Uh, also, uh, to get to that gig, I will actually be walking across Tower Bridge. Check me out. Uh, and then uh, other gigs I'm doing, uh, Wednesday the 18th of May, I'm at the uh, I'm at Angel Comedy at the Camden Head, Angel Raw, doing some new stuff there. Uh, Thursday, that's an Angel, in, as in Islington. Thursday the 19th, I'm at the Freedom Fridge at the Rose and Crown in Kentish Town. I love that. It just rolls off the tongue. Uh, and Friday the 20th, uh, I'm performing. I'm either with Humor. I think I'm with Humor Comedy in Norwich or Mirth Control. Don't quite know yet. And on Monday the 23rd, you can catch me at Comedy at the Hop at the Hop in in Swindon. That's right. Swindon. <laughs> and then you're jetting off to Germany for a bit. Uh, jetting off to Germany. Uh... uh from the 11th. <laughs> and people can still find you in Germany. You're not performing, but they can still find you. Look, I'm spending time with the in-laws. The last thing I need is additional people to interact with. <laughs> Google German private detectors. Just invest in them, and they'll, they'll track Will Preston down uh, when he's having a family holiday. Yeah, I'm... I think that'd be a fun thing to do. I think all our German listeners could try and find you. That'd be really fun. Speaking of really fun... Yes, I'm ready for fun. Man, big announcements on this show. Two big announcements. Oh, yes. Let's go for the first one. Marvel versus Marvel t-shirts coming your way on June the 1st. It is happening, Will. Yes. It is happening. Um, We're releasing two really, really awesome t-shirt designs after a long time of people asking for them. Uh, it's about us trying to get the right deal. We think we've got it. We think we've done it. Um, these t-shirts have been designed by one of our listeners, one of our biggest supporters, Peter J, who is an artist, sketched out some great designs for us. Um, we picked two of those, which have been turned into proper, proper t-shirts. Head on over to our Twitter, at Marvel Versus. Uh, the pinned tweet will have both the t-shirt designs for you to check out and look at at Marvel Versus and Versus the full word V-E-R 
SUS Marvel versus um, the pin tweet's got everything uh, about what it's going to look like. It's so cool. This is an experiment we're doing, right? Yes. And this might never happen again. We don't know. So far, the deal is we're releasing we're releasing two shirts for two months, yes. just two months, just two months. So June and July only. Um, so get ready, start saving up, put that paycheck to one side. Whatever you've got to do, this might be the only chance to get your hands on your very own MVM merch. Uh, two amazing designs: one powered by ignorance, and one a really awesome, cool MVM logo that we've got. Uh, so head on over to at Marvel Versus to check out the designs and get yourselves ready. For the Marvel vs. Marvel t-shirt merch event coming June and July. We head now into the mind of a muggle. Uh, uh, Will Preston, if you don't know, is the muggliest muggle in Muggledon because he's never read a Marvel comic before in his entire life. It's through the prism of his unique experience and perspective that we get to view the Marvel characters, the Marvel stories, pull them apart. I, I mean, we can't really ask... Uh, have you ever heard of Doctor Strange in 1978? You weren't alive yet. No, I was born in 1987, which is uh, 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 it switch. It's, it's the old switcheroo with numbers. 87, <laughs> not 78. Switcheroo. I love saying that. Not not enough chance to say the old switcheroo, but man, I click my heels. Well, when wouldn't I get to the old it. switcheroo be eight seven nine one? Hey, uh, I love numbers as much as you do, Rob. But let's not get bogged down in the details. <laughs> How we we can't. <laughs> I guess what I would like to know. I mean, you're going to have to kind of cast your mind into that of someone from the 1970s, right? Okay. The trailer that we've seen that we heard at the top of the show, yep. and the the images and the gleamings of it. How do you think someone that is not a comic book reader would react to this? movie or this trailer or something coming out what did you think find anything that appealing about the trailer and the posters and the idea well i I, I, from one angle you'd look at it and go this looks mad what's going on here i uh, i i might see it out of morbid curiosity but on the other hand let's cast cast your mind back to before you were born in the 70s and what was the tv landscape like back then i mean we're used to seeing fantasy TV shows with like high concept stuff with special effects. I mean, back then, like special effects were stuff reserved for films, and even then, they weren't particularly great. So we're looking at a TV movie about wizards and dark dimensions and things, and thinking, can they pull this off on the t- on TV? Because really, there is nothing like that. I mean, back in the 70s, what what big TV shows did you have back then that would even reach this? Can you think of any? that would? I mean, in- Incredible Hulk is the only one that in came terms out, of... Same year it In came terms out. of high concept. Yeah. Um, and I guess practical effects, although they're much more kind of physical effects, aren't they, in, yeah. in the Incredible Hulk um, TV series? We're looking at this and thinking, okay, you, you may have like magic effects with some shows... Like I can't think of any. Maybe maybe like weird sitcoms, like I Dream of Genie and stuff. Yeah, Bewitch and I Dream of Genie. They, they, yeah, they had that weird weird trick photography stuff like that. But this is some of it. It's a bit more than just weird trick photography here. There are some actual special effects where you look at it and go, "That's pretty good for its time." And the deal, and the, and the whole subject matter is a bit darker than that kind of thing. We're dealing with demonic stuff. It's it's high yeah. fantasy. <clears throat> it is. It's it's it is. 
more tamed down than and toned down than the comic books in terms of yep. the high conceptness of it. Um, and I think that's why so much of it feels. Um, I don't know. It does feel like watching an episode of Columbo. When, <laughs> And then every now and then there's magic in it. Like it's this procedural, yeah. slow, it's people in business suits yeah. walking around. And then there's a guy in a costume briefly, and then there's a man. It's, it's, it's a. Yeah. Like they're clearly having to do that thing, which I almost call it the, the kind of the lost thing of slowly introducing science fiction to a mainstream audience so as not to scare them off. Which is something that there Lost had to do go. in its first sense. series. Just, hey, lots of pretty people crash their plane in the jungle. There might be a monster, but let's just focus on the drama <laughs> of the pretty people. There might be a monster. And, and slowly, there's a polar bear. Why did that get there? Slowly introducing these kind of sci-fi high concept elements to a show that gripped people. I think there's some of that, as there is in, I think, the Luferengo Hulk series as well. Finally, folks, we have got awesome, awesome news for you that we've been working on uh, behind the scenes for quite a while now, Will, haven't we? It's um, It's been a long, long, long while. And we've been te- we yeah. teased it a little bit, I think perhaps a little bit more on Patreon, that on the main show, um, your boys have got the sponsors. <laughs> the podcast has reached <laughs> the promised land. Uh, yes, your favourite Marvel podcast is now officially sponsored. By offworldtees.com. Oh, uh, this is yes. just, a, just, it's just so freaking cool to put this together. Um, Offworld Tees, I mean, if you don't know, you can probably guess what the company <laughs> is. Offworld Tees, Tees as in t shirts. Um, and it's just so if you don't get the reference, Offworld Tees um, is the big, big Blade Runner yes. uh, reference. The big lets you know that this is a uh, a t shirt company after our own hearts. Because what's <laughs> the point of us advertising mattresses or a, a, a company that builds a website? That's got nothing to do with me and Will. That's got nothing to do with like our passions and interests. Although to be fair, if we advertise mattresses, I could say something like, "If you're powered by ignorance, you need to reach." Charge. Get a mattress. I need to recharge. Yeah, but you could now just say, if you're powered by ignorance, wear a shirt. Wear a shirt. Yeah, I could <laughs> it, say It that. works for everything. Off-world tees, like, make the shirts that we... Make the kind of t-shirts that we like, yes. that we want to buy, that we have bought, that we do wear. Um, we've been behind the scenes with these guys for a little while now. Um, we trust them so much. They're making our merchandise. That's how much we love these guys at offworldtees.com. And the whole point of this company is that it's T-shirts for geeks by geeks. Uh, And that's like, you can't get any better than that. Talking like the kind of retro movies that me and Will love, and I know loads of you out there do as well. Die Hard, The Goonies, freaking Top Gun. We're talking Jaws, Lost Boys, Mm. Labyrinth, all the big heavy hitters. And then like sci-fi legends, Back to the Future, Tron. Aliens, Predator, Will's favorite movie of all time, The Thing. Um, is it my I mean, favorite movie much, of all time? It's it's up. I there. think it's, it's the one you talk about the most. I I I talk about it the most because I feel it needs more coverage than I think it's my. I think I prefer it to es- I think I prefer it to escape. 
Escape from New York. I think everybody prefers the thing to Escape from New York. I love Escape from New York, but the thing yeah, man. offers a, a lot more and has aged oh, better. And and that's what off will tease kind of yeah. they understand the Snake Pliskin and the thing <laughs> are badass movies, yes. badass moments in cinema history, and that's why they make the the t shirts. And not just those, because I'm I, I have had this with everything, with comic books, with movies. And with wrestling as well, I can't wear a T-shirt that has like a guy's face on it. Like I don't want a picture mm. of the of the movie poster. Yeah, well, I don't want. I never want that. I want. I want one of the cool like designs that takes like an aspect of the movie and turns it into a T-shirt. Takes like a company or takes something like that is what I want. Yeah, the ones that always pops up in my head is when anyone wears a Whalen Utani T-shirt. From, uh, well, that guys is exactly what Offworld Tees.com specialise in. I've seen the Wayland Utani Tees. They, I mean, some of the badass designs as well. I think the. Have you seen the Doc Brown's custom autos? Yeah, I've seen the Doc. That that's is the that is one of the best T-shirt designs I've seen in. A, it really, really kicks me. In that it's got. It doesn't look like a movie T-shirt until you really look at it and go, "Oh crap, that really is." There's the. What's that? What's the triangle thing called? The flux, the flux, flux capacitor, capacitor. The flux capacitor. And there's Doc Brown. It just looks so. That one is one of my favourites to Offworld Tees offer. Um, but that one, that fl- one is a bit different from, like, say, like, uh, oh, this, this is a logo from a company within that film's universe. What they've done here is taken, like, yeah. like an existing. What, 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 what would Doc Brown be like if he, if he, if he owned a motorcycle out or something? If he, if, if Doc Brown opened a company, what company, would it be? It would be Custom Autos. Custom, it would be taking a DeLorean. There we go. And customizing that. Yeah. Um, the Flynn's Arcade is one of my. I because I'm I have this huge kind of like ethereal feeling about uh, Tron because I saw it a lot when I was a kid and then didn't think about it for like 25 <laughs> years until Legacy came out um, yeah. and that really I had a, a wonderful experience watching Tron Legacy and re-watching the movie and I, mean, I loved that they've got a Flynn's Arcade t-shirt yeah. and off-world tees that is just gorgeous and has that kind of retro gaming kind of style to it yeah I've never seen Tron I've never seen it You've got to watch it, and then you've got to buy the T-shirt. Oh, um, okay, okay, okay. <laughs> and then, I mean, uh, Mr. Resident Evil uh, fan of the year, yep. uh, six years in a row, is sat with me on the podcast. Of and, course, uh, yeah. They've got they've got that sweet Resident Evil merch. They've got. The, did I did I tell you? Yeah, they've got an Umbrella Corporation T-shirt. But Which I is want, a really uh, uh, like looks, as any as any company designs go. Yeah. That umbrella logo is really cool. It's a great logo. Uh, I have an I have a couple of airsoft patches that I've put onto the sides of my shoulders uh, when I go all black, so I look like a little bit like one of the special forces they have. And not only that, my car keys have an umbrella logo keyring on it because I wanted wow. a customer. That's so you're never going to lose your car keys. Well, now you can get a full T-shirt with the logo <laughs> on and rep Resident Evil 24-7. See, this is the thing, right? When I was growing up, I because I, I was never into football, never into rugby, mm. and it irked me that the kids I grew up with got to 
wear their fandom yes. literally on yes. their shirt and that's all sports is it's fandom <laughs> it's nothing it's nothing bigger or better or different people and it walking always around in me. the uniform they're just cosplayers on a different this is cosplaying a football player a football and it really player. bothered me growing up as a kid in the 80s yeah. that loved comic books and, and sci-fi that there weren't these kind of I didn't have access to these cool t-shirts like I, maybe if I maybe if I could convince my parents that even if you went to a city you know there wasn't a hot topic in this country or anywhere near me it was so hard to track these down maybe you found a comic book shop that had some comic book t-shirts in in the 90s but Mm. it was just day to day it was so difficult that's why offworldtees.com is so awesome for someone like me i can sit down there and i get that feeling that i had when i was a kid that wanted to have i wanted a jurassic park t-shirt i wanted uh, an aliens t-shirt a tron t-shirt a bill and ted t-shirt you know i wanted the evil dead and they weren't available now i sit down and i'm like okay, how much of the paycheck can I hand over to them this month? Because now I'm an adult. I can have it all, which is just ridiculous and glorious. It makes me feel like I can grant my own childhood wishes. Or maybe Offworld Tees can. Yes, um, they can. It's so cool. They've got an, an awesome Evil Dead tee. They're um, uh, Santa Carla. Uh, Murder Capital of the World t-shirt is so good. It's the Lost a real, it is the lost a real boys, kind it? of like yeah. yeah, but it's so... Un- you could almost skip over it and go, oh, that's a... Wait, what's that? Do you know what that's I like about it? just a great it's, shirt. It's half and half. You've got one half, one half on the right is like the murder capital of the world. It looks all fearsome and like something from a heavy metal album cover. But the left half of it looks very synthwave. It's got that... It sun, does, yeah. It's got that sun with the with the lines as as it traces down, uh, and the, and the the lettering looks synth way. I'm like, oh, actually, that's really. Sweet. I'm telling you, the the in house designs that these guys, the off world tees, do yeah. are so cool. Yeah. That's why we. That's part of the reason we've used them for our own Marvel versus Marvel merch. Like um, Peter J is a, a fan of the show, um, one of our loyal listeners and an artist, and he came up with the um, original kind of sketchy original design ideas. But what Offworld Tees have been able to do, and you guys will see this real soon, what they've done with taking this sketch and turning it into a proper cool t-shirt design, that level of design work they've done is mm. so awesome. It's so cool. You can see it across so many of their of their t-shirts. And look, we've had offers to sponsorship in the past, and we've never bothered with it because it never seemed like it could do anything for us or for our audience. Yeah. We, we, wouldn't, we wouldn't attach this podcast and like our name to just any old Tom, Dick, and Harry waving some money at us to, to do an advert. It's not what this is about. Like, I've known this company for, for, for many years. I've got the T-shirts. I wear the T-shirts. They're a great company. We've been working with them behind the scenes for a while now. They've got great customer... You know, check them out on, on, on Trustpilot. Great customer service reviews, like 4.7 out of 5 stars, you know. Um, can't get That's any better really than that in the modern good. world. That yeah, is right? inc- anything, anything above 4 is good. But like four point five, that's amazing. I'm telling me, we trust we trust them. Off world tees, we trust them with our merch. Mm. Uh, we trust we trust them with our name and this association. Where we when we say to you guys, go and check our, go and check these people out. We don't want you to have a crap experience, and we know you're not going to have a crap experience uh, with these cool cats over at offworldtees.com. They, they look and really it's good. Not, 
Sorry. They, yeah, absolutely. It, it, I'm, I'm trying to say it's not just um, UK. If you're if you're listening in America, it's not just a UK company. They've got production hubs in in uh, America. They've got them in Canada, Australia. They've got them in uh, Germany and in the Czech Republic. So you can order from them, and their production hubs near to you in your country are going to. Uh, package them up and send them out to you so that's i mean that's one of the big big reasons we've gone with them for our merch as well because it means we can reach people all over the world so this is not just a uk shout out this is global (laughs) australia canada czech republic germany the uk and united states of america offworldtees.com if you're a geek you got to rep being a geek. You want to go to people who are geeks, who love the, the movies and the TV shows like we do. Check out their designs. You can sign up to their mailing list and get 10% off your first order. Um, we were already wearing their merch, me and Will, and we're going to continue to do so. You guys should check them out as well. That's offworldtees.com. Very exciting news from our sponsors. Uh, this is the, what an episode for us, really. T-shirts, sponsorship, it is all happening. Marvel versus Marvel. But let's get to the meat and bones of it. Will, you're the man that can take us through the the TV movie side of things, the production side of this unique 1970s event. What can you tell us about Doctor Strange, the TV movie? Well, I really wanted to tell you guys about budget but unfortunately, I could not because it's a TV movie. I could not find details of how much it costs or how much. And, and you obviously can't tell you how much it made because it's a TV movie. But I can tell you some other stuff. We'll go through uh, the most interesting. One of the most interesting thing about this films is the cast, as there were some quite good names on here. We'll go go through the uh, the top billing first, which is quite ironic because the top billing does it's the one with the smallest. One of the smallest, smallest careers I've ever seen. Uh, Peter Hooten stars as Dr. Stephen Strange. Pretty much his best known role. He had guest spots on TV shows like The Waltons and other things, but nothing big apart from that. That's it. That's his career. I, I remember that... I remember reading somewhere I hear it like that that's like a weird thing about it because mm. Bill Bixby was well known yep. and you know you've got to have these people that can carry a show and get eyes on it and you know this guy didn't I guess yeah um what, what I I managed to I had a conversation with uh, my mum and stepdad and I saw I, I told them about it and they watched the trailer and my stepdad was immediately sold and he was like what he mentioned one of the actors who I'll get onto was like oh my god I've seen him do this I've seen him on stage we've got to see this and then my mum was like I hate this and he's like I love it it's terrible I love it and they said that Peter Hooten looks like <laughs> Ray Purchase from Toast of London <laughs> Oh right! All they yeah, can see, the, the... see is Ray. It's Ray Bloody Purchase. I am not a fan of that show. It doesn't really do much for me. Um, I really like uh, Thing of Me, but uh, that show doesn't really work at all. If you if you are a I fan of Toasted London, please let me know so we can just say silly actors' names for hours. Uh, and the the American the the, the American uh, series was so much worse than the... Like, the regular one had an, kind of enough funny bits in it to kind of watch, I guess, but, oi, 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 that one where he went to America was drivel. I, I enjoyed drivel. it, but, but I noticed a dip in quality, maybe because they left it so long after they did the series, the momentum was gone and they had to restart again, which has happened with other shows, uh, sadly. Uh, next, uh, 
Playing Morgan Le Fay, we have uh, the dearly departed Jessica Walter, who I absolutely love. Uh, notable credits, of course. Uh, she was Misty. No, no, she wasn't Misty. She was uh, the the one of the main people playing alongside uh, Clint Eastwood in Play Misty for me. You might remember. Indeed, yeah. Uh, she was, I think, for someone like me, she was way more well known in two TV shows, Arrested Development and Archer, where she pretty much played the same role in both as the uh, very highly strung, very wealthy mother in both. And she was just brilliant. Marjorie, is it Marjorie? Marjorie Mallory 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 has a at least has a caring side to her that I don't think is present in Arrested Development Arrested Development she comes out with so many great lines I mean was it just so how out of touch she is he goes go get yourself a how much is how much is a banana ten (laughs) dollars Oh man, that, that that when this show gets played back fifty years time, they're going to go. What? That's how much they cost now. Uh, next, we have Anne Marie Martin, credited as Edie Benton as Clear Lake. Uh, she, again, she, she didn't star in that much. She retired from acting to pursue a love of horses and rode competitively. Uh, and more famously, she married author Michael Crichton in nineteen eighty-seven. She was married to Michael Crichton. Apparently, they divorced in two thousand three. I think. They so were, she got all the money years. She got Michael Crichton in his prime. She got Jurassic Park, ER, Sphere. Um, Sphere. Yeah, but I'm talking about Congo. Big money. Like, there's one period <laughs> of time where Michael Crichton, and it's the only time at that point it ever happened. He had the number one movie in America, yep. the number one TV show in America, yep. and the number one best-selling book in America. Yep. And they were all different. It was, I imagine, Jurassic Park, ER, and I don't know what the book would have been, but geez, I. Uh, I, I I feel bad not talking about Anne Marie Martin and talking about her husband. Oh yeah, instead. sorry, that's a good. point No, no, but I, I was just about to go. I, I mean, I, I've read quite a few Michael Crichton novels now, and they're mostly the same in terms yeah. of terms of style. But they are really fun. They are a lot of them are so much fun, and I'm really interested to see what they turn into later. And of course, I I absolutely loved Westworld. Uh, but Amelia Martin, yet that she did not star in much. Uh, gave up. Uh, she was also a writer as well. I think she was uh, one of the writers for the film Twister, which was a fun old lark. Great film. Great Love film. Twister. One of the writers on that. Uh, but apart from that, no. It sounds like she took the nice way out. Just did what she loved to do. I think that's absolutely brilliant. Uh, next, we have Clyde Kuzatsu as Wong. Uh, no major parts, but he is a veteran actor, still going strong today, and he has starred in so many things. So many, he's, he's appeared in so many much-loved TV shows such as Star Trek: Next Generation, Mash, and Magnum PI. I mean, just check him out; he's been in so much. And then finally, this is what this is what got my stepdad excited. We had uh, Sir John Mills as Thomas Lidmer, basically the Sorcerer Supreme in the film. Uh, 1976, he was knighted by the Queen. Uh, a proper thespian as well. He's been active since the 20s and appeared in more than 120 films in a career spanning seven decades. And in 1971, he received the Academy Award for Best Supporting Actor for his performance in Ryan's Daughter. This is quite... This is quite a cast. I mean, mainly because of two. It's a strong acting cast. Yeah, yeah strong it's acting just the, cast. It's the eyes on thing that I think, you know. Yeah. Uh, the, the, what do they call it? The Q rating. What is the um, Q rating? What would you call that? It's, it's when you poll people and you see, like, how many people have heard of this person. Yes. Yeah. I mean, um, there, there, there are some there are some people there, Peter Hooten, who just 
pretty much nobody's. I don't want to insult him, but he's just like... I, I, did, did, see, yeah, but so is Christopher Reeve, man. So is Christopher Reeve. Yeah, true, true. you got to take... It, it, it's a shame, because I, I have to say, in this film, he wasn't bad. He's good. He was, I, 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 think, I, and I think he looks the part. I like it. He yeah. felt, he, he's very 70s, I felt. His voice, his swagger and everything. But anyway... So what else is he? What other era is he going to be like, Bill? <laughs> it's 1978. He's the actor of the moment, and he was like, "Oh, he's very 70s in his deliverance in this yeah. 70s movie." Yeah. Anyway, Philip de Guer. How do you how do you pronounce this? De Guer. I should have I should have talked about this before. Anyway, Philip de Guer was given an ample budget for Doctor Strange, which he wrote, directed, and produced. The film was shot on Universal sets in Los Angeles, going over schedule by several days because of the special effects, which included a lot of the era's green screen. I think this is an early time for green screen, wasn't it? I mean, what it was was it when, when you're the film you're a better film buff. Than no, me. no, no, you're the film guy. I'm. I'm <laughs> We're going to have to draw demarcation lines on this. You keep doing this. This is the improv equivalent of taking a pin out of a grenade and handing it to the other person. No. (laughs) You came up with the production notes. You tell me. Is this an early era of green screen? I don't know, and I don't want to Just Google. say yes! I'm going to say yes. This green screen was unthought of before Doctor Strange. Doctor Strange invented <laughs> green screen. <laughs> and now we all know. Uh, don't Google it, guys. You'll break the spell. Uh, next, uh, Clyde Kuzatsu, uh, who played Wong, uh, a character whose portrayal of the in the comics of the 1960s, as we previously discussed was problematic, but who in this adaption enjoyed a surprisingly progressive treatment. Uh, I didn't have time to run around with exotic robes, anything representing the mysterious East, says Kazatsu of his character, who sported a three-piece suits and spoke in an American accent. One of the scenes that caused the most strife on set is Morgan Le Fay and Wong engaged in a magic battle, with Wong eventually losing and being surrounded by flames. It's something that looks easy by today's standards, but it was a real pain in 1978. He put a ring of rubber cement, which was flammable, and he would ignite it, Kazatsu says, of the special effects technician. Then you'd run in there and pretend you are knocked out. We could feel the heat. Jessica Walters was saying, you don't have to do it if you deem it to be unsafe for you. You have every right to refuse to do it. And the director, Phil, was going, no, 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 no. He's one of our stars. We can't do that. But of course, the old grizzle special effects guy's going, what the F is going on? It is Guy Wimple, what? It's just a little fire. That's Isn't it so weird how effects have changed <laughs> over the years? Like, yeah. in the old cowboy movies, <laughs> yeah, those are real bullets yeah and the way they get the special effect is the guy with the gun just misses on purpose that's incredible like that's insane they're not it's not like a stunt shot or a black it's just yeah i'm just gonna not shoot you surely Um, i I think like black bullets would have been easier to make back then i i well but a blank still projects out and hits you yeah i don't know whether that's i don't think there's i don't think the thing is saying blanks didn't exist yeah it's saying it's still something that's going to hit an actor yeah who uh, isn't wearing a vest this thing because when it when it happens you're talking about an explosion and some things at the top of the bullet containing it so the top is going to come out and fly out Mm. incredible the tv movie needed to be an overnight success it was one of those things where cbs welcomes you to the family until you get aired and you get over berlin without fighter support and then you are going down in flames says kazatsu 
These weren't the days of just three networks and overnight ratings were everything. If you didn't make the overnights, you were dead, says Kazatsu. I'm sure if I look back at the numbers to see what we had back in 78, those were the kind of numbers that could be sustainable on the CW or something like that. The Roots rerun dominated the night, earning even better than expected ratings. It was a huge blow for Daguerre. So that that's just just to briefly explain. Roots was a massive TV miniseries of the age. Never saw it, um, but heard so much about it. And um, it was on the on the same night and the same time as a Doctor Strange movie. Mm. Um, and yeah. the Doctor Strange movie apparently did terrible ratings up against, whilst Roots ran away and dominated. So yeah, uh, yeah, that's just outside influence, outside factor. Sad it happened, but there we go. Uh, it was a huge blow for Daguerre, who who had lobbied for Hooten to start as Strange against concerns a, a bigger star would have been better for the project. He thrilled. He was thrilled with the movie. He walked around on a cloud for a while, says composer Chihara, who was a friend of the director's. He was crushed when it didn't get picked up. The, the, I mean, outside factors... It, mm, there's a saying in wrestling. <laughs> <laughs> Go on, let's hear it. There's always um, there's always a sale on at the at the petrol station down the road, right? Mm. There's always something you did not come up with a product that people wanted to come and see more than the other thing. That's yeah. what happened. Um, like you could you can always oh yeah well it's because this happens all the time in in wrestling. There'll be a very bad like turnout, and the promoter or someone will be like yeah, but it's summertime. So people are out in the garden, yeah. they don't want to come in. The World oh, it's Cup's too on. wet, too windy. The World Cup's on. World Cup, yeah. The summer, the Winter Olympics are on. There's always something. There's always a sale down at the petrol station. Um, <laughs> and if you haven't got enough, then you haven't got enough. A sale on down at the petrol station sounds like the single most depressing sentence I've ever heard in my life. Indeed, yeah. Yeah, that's depressing. In a 1985 interview, Stanley cited this movie as the Marvel television project of the 1970s that he wound up giving the most input and noting he became very friendly with writer, executive producer and director Philip Daguerre. Uh, Lee added that next to The Incredible Hulk, this was the live action adaption of a Marvel character with which he was most pleased at the time. Lee was disappointed by the movie's low ratings, which he attributed, as we said, to being aired against Roots. Well... So yeah, I mean, this is <laughs> Here we, we, go. we, do, we we love Stanley, don't we? We but love it's him. No, yeah. it's no coincidence that the project that lets Stanley have the most access and input on <laughs> is the project that Stan likes the most, right? Yeah. And better projects that didn't listen to him, he often isn't that fond of. Do you know that? He, you know that reminds me. Uh, I, I don't suppose you're much of a Star Trek fan, are you, Rob? I, I used to be. I used to watch an awful lot of it. I've watched quite a lot of Star Trek. Yeah, I've I've, I've watched a lot of the films. I, I wouldn't say I'm a fan at the moment. I I, I don't th- I don't think I consider myself a fan unless I watch everything. But there's so much to get through with Star Trek. Anyway, uh, with the first film they do, Star Trek: The Motion Picture, Gene Roddenberry, the worst yes. goddamn movie. Someone I know argued oh that it was God. actually good, and I was like, no, it's not. It's bad. It's a, that's a bad faith person. It's a bad. That's, that, yeah. that's what's happening there. But the thing is, that was the film that Gene Roddenberry was most involved with and then Star Trek 2 The Wrath of Khan they pretty much dragged him away from it and got someone else on board and that feels mm-hmm. like the same with this with Stan Lee it's like yeah it's it's not good but just- it, it, you can see it with um, Star Trek The Next Generation The sh- honestly the series gets markedly better when Roddenberry kind of stops having input anymore and Rick Berman and others kind of then we get 
you know, like two-part specials with the Borg and yeah, wars yeah. and ongoing story arcs and stuff. Yeah. And we don't have every episode end with like data making a, a joke and everyone laughing uh this, in, this, yeah this is the problem when i've tried to watch star trek next generation from the first season i go this is like 20 years after the original series and it feels so much like the original series yeah i i do i, I think there's a lot there's a lot um the diversity of personalities in the cast yeah, of tng yeah. is incredible yes and i think patrick stewart carries entire episodes on his back He's just a joy to watch. Also, um, what a theme yeah. tune. What a theme tune. Anyway, oh. final, final fact. Same, same orchestra as... Oh, no, don't do this to me. I can't think. I can't Simpsons. think. Simpsons. No way. Yeah, same orchestra. Incredible. Well, same same well, It might not be exactly the same people. It had, I think it, it had the biggest... It, it had the... Yeah, it was the kind of biggest movie, the biggest show to have a full orchestral kind of... Um, music theme until The Simpsons came out. I'm fairly certain it was the same, I think you call them company. Company, there we go. Okay, so Morgan Le Fay was the first Marvel foe to be adapted to live action. She was later joined by the Kingpin in The Charlie the Incredible Hulk in 1989 and the Red Skull in the 1990 film Captain America. Yeah, that's the interesting thing about this kind of time period yeah. is these TV movies and TV shows that are getting made don't tend to adapt the supervillains because it's you're spending all your money on making <laughs> Spider-Man look like he can go up and down a wall. I haven't got any more money for <laughs> Electro or Doctor Octopus. He's just got to fight a gangster. We've spaffed um, it all on the on the uh, webbing, guys. We spaffed <laughs> it all on the webbing. Let's go behind the page now. Uh, of course, in our in our Doctor Strange MCU episode, we looked at kind of the full history of Doctor Strange and his origins. But this allows us to kind of go granular into the golden age of Doctor Strange. Doctor Strange in the nineteen seventies, a period of time that lasts from the seventies through to the to the early to mid eighties, is I, I would say is the golden age of Doctor Strange. Um, and this is real fun. So. The first series of Doctor Strange was cancelled in 1969, right before we kind of are going to start the 1970s, due to very bad sales. Um, and this is not abnormal. This has happened at one time or another during the history of every major Marvel character that we're going to look at. Um, Iron Man's had his, his you know, his, his, his title cancelled, Captain America, Hulk. Everyone's had that the, the X-Men famously were cancelled for like five or six years. Mm. Um, and may, were, it was almost like they might not, never come back. They might just become background characters. Um but when Doctor Strange was cancelled, it was cancelled. There's some problems because there were like some major plot points that were left unresolved. <laughs> um, so as the 1970s begins, Doctor Strange's whole identity and existence is up in the air. He might not ever have come back, and he might have become what we might call like a Nick Fury character. So a background character, a guest star, a supporting, but not someone that has his own adventures and his own series. Mm. And his identity is in question. So before it, before it was cancelled, the Doctor Strange comic told a story where um, Doctor Strange is trapped in a weird dimension whilst a uh, a demonic villain in the real world has stolen his form and his face and his identity. Oh, that's a good and is walking around New York and Greenwich and the Sanctum Sanctorum as Doctor Strange. Do you know? And there's, 
Uh, sorry to interrupt about this, but this sounds like the same cliffhanger as Twin Peaks. Ah, well, yes, that's true. It does that sound like true, the same yeah. cliffhanger as Twin Peaks. Now, there's this um, be- peculiar rule that seems to Doctor Strange realizes he can't get back from where he is to the real to the real dimension of Earth because there's. Because there's already an entity walking around in the world with the face and body of Doctor Strange, he can't pass through the dimensional barrier to get home. Um, so Strange uses his magic to change his appearance. He gives himself this weird blue face oh. um, with like black outlined eyes. It basically looks like he's wearing a big blue mask Okay, with exaggerated eye features on it. Um, right. And when he does that, then he can uh, pass through the barrier. The Behind the scenes, this was done as an attempt to try and combat the really low sales of the comic book. The editors and the writers thought that maybe if we try and make Doctor Strange look like the more popular masked superheroes yeah. that Marvel has, then maybe this would attract more people to <laughs> look at the book. So for a period of time in the in the late 60s and the beginning of the 1970s, yeah. Doctor Strange has this... He, he looks like almost a ghost, kind of, because he's got mm. this blue uh, mask on. So the new blue face Doctor Strange, he, he he returns to the the real world. He faces his doppelganger and beats him and everything. But then he decides, you know what? I'm going to keep my blue mask to help me hide my real name and identity from the world, even though his like superhero name is Doctor Strange. Uh, his real name that everyone already knows. Um, that. There's a problem. It's very hard to hide your identity when all the people involved in the world know that Doctor Strange is your name, your real name, and your working name. So they came up with a way around that to try and make that make sense. A spell was cast to essentially make everyone in the world forget that Doctor Strange ever existed. Mm. Forget his secret identity. Sound familiar? Um, yeah. yeah, yeah. And instead, the world now remembers his name as Dr. Stephen Sanders. Right. And so when he's got his real face on, right. he's Dr. Stephen Sanders. Right. And when he needs to go out and do some magic, he uh, puts a big blue face on himself, and he's <laughs> Dr. Strange. <laughs> so as the 70s start, Dr. Strange has a big blue face, a secret identity that the, the, the world sort of does or doesn't remember. His own comic has been cancelled, and this causes a problem because he's not only is that happening, but he's in the middle of trying to fight a, an alien, essentially an alien other dimensional invasion. Mm. And as that story begins, his comic is cancelled, so there's no <laughs> resolution. Um, Doctor Strange 183, the Earth is being invaded by the, 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 the undying ones who are kind of Lovecraftian inspired interdimensional beings. Mm. Um, and their, their leader, the Nameless One, Nameless One crops up in this movie as well, sort of. Um, well, just the thing, the Nameless One. The comic gets cancelled without any of that being resolved. But it was being written by Roy Thomas. We've spoken about him a few times as kind of like the the Stanley's right-hand man and kind of successor as a writer and editor and then eventually editor-in-chief. 
writer Roy Thomas is left with like no choice. Um, so Marvel, this this would go on to happen quite a lot. Mm. Marvel would never ever leave a storyline unresolved, even when comics were cancelled, kind of at the last minute without much notice. Mm. They would always resolve the story mm. in another comic. Roy Thomas has has basically no choice now but to resolve that story in the two other comic books that he writes at the time. He was writing Doctor Strange, Incredible Hulk, and Namor the Submariner. Right. So in in Incredible Hulk and then Namor the Submariner, these are Doctor Strange teams up with the Hulk and then teams up with Namor to save the world from these um these these undying ones. And this <laughs> There we go. This this mistake, this error, accidentally created mm. a super popular new superhero team for the 70s right. and secured the future of Doctor Strange going forward with no comic. Um, so, 1971, uh, Marvel launches a, a bunch of books, actually. So, Stan Lee is transitioning from out of being a Marvel writer and editor-in-chief into being the Marvel publisher, his right. president and publisher, mm. like a higher role, so you're not really doing creative stuff anymore. And he launched three anthology comics in this in this time. Well, I don't know if anthology comics is quite the right term. But he, he launched three books. Um, one was called Marvel Spotlight, mm-hmm. which we talked about last episode with Moon Knight. Mm. Two issues of Marvel Spotlight featured the first solo adventures of Moon Knight. And then the next issue would be another character. Um, And that's the idea. It's putting the spotlight on a character that maybe they're in the Avengers or the X-Men or maybe they've never had a solo story before. So they get the spotlight in Marvel Spotlight. There's one called Marvel Premiere and there's another one called Marvel Feature. Um, They're kind of try-out books that allow the publisher to like assess... A character's popularity um, without investing in a brand new series and mm. the launch and the kind of the blow to the image if the, if like it immediately fails. So, nineteen seventy one, Stanley wants to launch Marvel feature mm. with this very popular, according to reader letters, this popular teaming of Doctor Strange, the Incredible Hulk, and Namor the Submariner. And he this time they're launched as an official team called The Defenders. Great team name. So issue one of Marvel Feature has the three of them as the Defenders. This team become proved to be so popular that Marvel immediately spinned the Defenders off into their own series. So now Doctor Strange has a very prominent place in the 70s. He's going to be one of the, the essentially the leader of this team the defenders um so he's not going to just fade into the background um he's not exactly on the avengers but he's got this quirky funky bunch of of uh, of of characters there and he also marvel premiere one of those other um tryout books yeah, in 1972, um, Doctor Strange's series kind of is its solo adventures begin to be told in Marvel Premiere. It becomes Marvel Premiere, starring Doctor Strange. Uh, from 72 to 74, um, he gets his solo adventures again, written this time by Steve Englehart. We talked about Steve Englehart an awful lot. Um, Rings a bell during the Wonder and Vision episode. Yes, there we go. 
he's hailed as one of the greatest Avengers writers of all time. He had an awful, awful lot to do with uh, Wanda and the Vision. Um, and also um, an artist called Frank Brunner um, was, was, was involved in that. And he was like a co-plotter. Like mm. Steve and Frank would sit down every month over dinner. They'd plot out what was going to happen in the following month's adventures. Oh, lovely. Steve would write it. Frank would draw it. They became the, this this driving creative force with Doctor Strange, and immediately in Marvel premiere in the early seventies began crafting these huge sweeping cosmic stories. Hmm. In 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 the premiere series, um, that's when Doctor Strange uh, ascends to replace the Ancient One and become the Sorcerer Supreme for the first time. Uh-huh. And that would then last for forever. Um, he's the Sorcerer Supreme going forward, but that mm-hmm. doesn't happen until this early 70s. It sees the creation of one of Doctor Strange's biggest um, villains, the giant, terrifying, multi-tentacled, single-eyed elder god Shumagorath, who appears in the new... Multiverse of Madness movie that that did sound familiar and incredibly but, Lovecraftian. In well, there's a reason for that. Yeah, but he appears under a different name, a much much worse name in the movie. Mm. In the new movie, he's called Gargantos. Oh, for the love of God, sucks. it's to do with Shumagorath is not a name that Marvel own. Ah, uh... it, it's a. It's a so during the period of time mm. Marvel was doing all the comic book adaptations of Conan the Barbarian, <laughs> and it's a name from one of the Conan books, oh, no. and they used it. Steve Englehart used it, and so they don't own it, so they can't call him that. We, and in we, fact, in recent appearances, they don't call him anything. They just go, "Oh my God, look at that it's thing!" thing. Can, we, can we have that name again, please? This big, big eye, loads of tentacles. What's it called in a new movie? Shuma Gorath. No, what's it Shuma hyphen Gorath? Yeah, I know there's a hyphen there, but could we have a new name, please? Gargantos. That is the most Stanley name I've heard of in my life. Yeah, completely, right? It's the most Stan- yeah. I mean, hats off for making the most Stanley name, but they could have at least gone, how about we make it Lovecraftian? No, we're going full <laughs> Stanley. Let's call him Gargantos. Something that sounds huge and a Greek island. I hear you. Uh, Engelhart and Brunner during this series created a, 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 this, this, this multi-issue storyline that so this has caused a lot of controversy. It's a sorcerer called Sissy Neg, um, uh-huh. which is Genesis backwards. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> and Sissy Neg uh, and Doctor Strange have this conflict. Sissy Neg travels backwards through history, collecting all mystical energies from all periods of time, becoming more and more powerful. Going beyond anything Doctor Strange has ever encountered before. He's completely powerless, right? Mm. Eventually get to the beginning of the universe where nothing exists. And Sissy Neg has now become Mm all-powerful and decides to then create the universe anew from nothing. And the story ends with Doctor Strange considering, pondering, and not sure whether... Was that God... (laughs) Oh. Paradoxically, is that the original creation oh. of everything and all life? Oh, that's incredible. Um, Stanley sees the issue after publication and goes nuts. <laughs> He's like, you can't 
do this. It's 1917, whatever. He orders Engelhart and Brunner to write up a retraction that will be printed in the next issue um, saying that this was not God and only it was only a supernatural force like Thor or Odin because he desperately wanted to make sure religious leaders didn't um, get offended and, and, and cause a lot of problems for Marvel. According to Frank Brunner, he and Engelhart secretly wrote a fake letter of praise from a fictitious religious minister <laughs> praising the story. And then they had someone mail it to Marvel from oh, Texas so it couldn't be traced back to them. Good. Marvel and Stanley loved this this critical praise that they received, this fake critical praise, and do a 180 on their position, print the letter, and and drop the retraction altogether. Oh, that is so sneaky. <laughs> that is so sneaky. Now, due to the um, growing number of, of, of Doctor Strange readers, the Marvel premiere is selling really good, so they segue Doctor Strange into his second ongoing series called Doctor Strange, Master of the Mystic Arts. Um, mm. And it's with both Engelhart and Brunner at the helm, the creative team. Although before long, Frank Brunner leaves the series and he's replaced by a, a legendary Marvel artist, Gene Colan, um, who uh, has done Spider-Man stuff and also a huge amount of Conan stuff. Um, this series is absolutely mad from the start. Tons of psychedelic, trippy, existential stories. Issue one starts with Doctor Strange being stabbed in the back while meditating Mm. by a mystic knife that cuts through all defences. He's 100% dying. They leave you with no... There's nothing that can be done about this. He's bleeding to death. He's desperate to stay alive. He pulls out something called the Eye of Agamotto, this this kind of crystal ball almost, Mm. which is really powerful and trippy, and he tries to use it to save his life but sees, he believes, death itself seeming to stop him because that is against the rules. Um, And he then get What happens then is this five-issue story takes place where exactly what happens is open to interpretation. Mm. It looks like Doctor Strange is sucked inside the Eye of Agamotto. And when he gets in there, he discovers a whole new world, a realm of unreality. And he meets this giant caterpillar smoking a hookah, oh, getting high, speaking very hip cat, dude, mm. and explaining the nature of unreality and how Doctor Strange is essentially now dead in the real world. So he should just forget about that and just live here forever, forever in this unreality world where you're, nothing bad will ever happen. And Doctor Strange feels fine. Strange is then left to loudly ponder and consider, and this goes on for a while, am I actually dead? <laughs> is this unreality real? Yeah. Or is this just, did I just die and this is what happens next? Mm. Or is this a near-death hallucination like what I heard people talk about a lot when I was a surgeon? Yeah. <coughs> Super trippy, existential. He encounters in this realm. He encounters mystic creatures, weird, twisted versions of people that he knows, his friends, or the superheroes. He's constantly trying to get his mind to focus and stop wandering mm. because he knows that if he want, if his mind wanders in this realm of unreality, 
He will just give in to the unreality around him and he'll be completely lost and forget everything. He eventually meets death in this unreal world who is trying to claim him and telling him that everything around him is a lie and he just needs to go back to the real world, give in to his wounds and die. And Strange keeps trying to run away and find loopholes and escapes and everything... And he does this again and again and again. And eventually, he just gets sick and tired of it. And he comes to realise that he has a lot of powers and fights a lot of demons and villains and bad stuff. But death isn't a demon. And his powers cannot do anything in the face of actual mortality. Mm. So the dramatic conclusion of the story is Doctor Strange accepting death (laughs) and moving towards it. Mm. And going on to die. And that's kind of not exactly the end, but it's super trippy and weird and cool. And he just gets this place of he stops viewing death as an enemy and is like, death isn't a supervillain, it's death. <laughs> and death was right. I was trying to like go against the rules and trick my way out of it. And that's not how it's meant to work. You're just meant to accept it and move on. It's so trippy. That's like the first five issues of this new series. That's incredible. Um, and it's I find it like the Stan Lee and Steve Ditko stuff. Um, there was elements of existentialism in it, and the artwork was kind of gorgeously trippy. But I think this is so much more psychedelic because it's about levels of reality and unreality, mm. the nature of what is real and what isn't. And who is to say right now what any of us are experiencing is real or whether it's a dream or an illusion or whatever, no, man. I have this I have these thoughts quite a lot. Existential so cool. thoughts. But I like that. I like they acknowledge that. And then one of the other cool things about the seventies is that this is the period of time and go back to our Blade episode for a lot more on this. This is the period of time where the Comic Code Authority has relaxed all of its strict rules concerning supernatural horror-themed characters. Mm. So, Doctor Strange is not like the lone supernatural character anymore. Marvel has introduced a whole fleet of them, from Ghost Rider to Blade to your favourite, Jack Russell, Werewolf by Night, (laughs) um, to Dracula. Uh, In the 1970s, one of Marvel's most popular comics was Tomb of Dracula. This is this is the thing. I'm on uh, the non-toxic Marvel community on Facebook, and any time Moon Knight's been mentioned or anything like that, they're going, okay, when does he get to punch Dracula in the face? We want an MCU series or film where Dracula gets punched in the face. Yes, it seems like a very odd section of the greasy internet. Um, but cool. so how, how is it greasy to want Dracula to get punched because in the face? He's the bad guy. It's all these greasy little in-joke merchants that, you know, just peddling their laughs back and forth in their basements. So in the 70s, Tomb of Dracula is this hugely popular comic. Um, It's there, it's Marvel's interpretation of the character. So Dracula is resurrected from the undead, or the dead or whatever it is, in Mm. 1970s Marvel Universe. It's where Blade comes from and originates. Ah, okay, yeah. Dracula is the star of the comic, but he's the villain. 
So it's actually about a gang of vampire hunters traveling around the globe, trying to kill him, uh, kill Dracula, and stop his evil forces. And in the seventies, Dracula becomes one of Doctor Strange's biggest and most kind of powerful foes. He because he really is. It's like oh, this is an interest. This is the first time that the villain that the superhero faces is the star of his own comic. In general, the superhero faces a supervillain who is just the supervillain of the month, yeah. right? And he might be as as, pop, as as popular and recurring as they are. They're not the star of their own. This was like a crossover. This was like a mega thing. This was like one. It is one lead character meeting another lead character, but one of these lead characters is fucking evil and wants to murder everyone. Um, it was like a big kind of event, uh, and there's a, a, a glorious crossover um, throughout multiple issues called the montessi formula mm. as um we see dracula uh bite and turn dr strange into a vampire Ooh, and dr strange well is trying right. to find the, the the formula that will remove all vampires from the earth and it's a very cool this movie therefore arrives like slap bang 78 in the middle of the golden age of dr strange at a time when his comic books were selling really well, he's popular with audiences um, for probably like the first, well, the first time since he was created, and he's living this double life. Big superhero action in The Defenders, mm. and at the same time doing this glorious, psychedelic, horror, cosmic stories in his own stories. Can you believe, Will, how like genuinely are you are you jazzed about about the t-shirts coming out i i'm really jazzed i mean we, we, you said earlier it's like an experiment for us this is an experiment yeah we branch out but i'll tell you what else was an experiment rob you know what else was an experiment the live what? show the, well, that's true the and live show in fact the whole this whole podcast was an experiment to be fair but the, the, that the live show was an experiment and look what happened i mean i don't think there's an award for t-shirts <laughs> but a man can dream rob a man can dream and you've got i mean your catchphrase is or your i don't know is it your catchphrase or is it my catchphrase for you it's is a it, it's derogatory your, it's piece your... of hate speech that you <laughs> constantly your... use against it's your me. title it's powered title. by ignorance is going to be on t-shirts and that and it looks i mean you've seen the designs yeah I just think it's I mean, very weird that they're going to be people across the pond who are going to be wearing merchandise referring to me. It it just feels very weird. I, actually, I, I I'm not comfortable with it. Let's call it all off. Well, that, that, <laughs> I'm kidding. That is part of the really cool thing is yeah. that we've got these these partners in Offworld Tees who have got these production hubs, these relationships with production hubs around the world. It's because one of the problems we had was. If we do a, if we kind of work with a t-shirt company here in the UK, mm. how like how long is it going to take to ship to America? Then there's the extra that the American or Canadian or European or Australian buyer is going to have to spend on on the shipping costs and the tax and all that kind of stuff. By working with these production, you know, Offworld is going to help us get into all these different markets across the world, which is really cool. It means you guys get t-shirts quicker. And don't pay stupid amounts of money for on you know because I bought t-shirts from America before. It costs an arm and a leg, and when it's the only place that that, that 
specific unique shirt is available, yeah. it kind of sucks. It really so does. this is really, really cool. And the, the shirts look awesome. I'm really, really excited. Um, June and July, it's going to be a lot of fun. Right in time for summer. Yeah, new summer T-shirt. Got right. to get a new T-shirt for summer, right? Yeah, might, I, be, I, might as well be ours. I, I, I went. I actually went on their website and had a look, and just created an account, started favoriting all the t-shirts I want because every now and again I like put little reminders in my calendar to buy things instead of splurging. Right now, mm, I go, yeah, yeah. No, I'm going to spread my costs out. I put the reminder, say buy t-shirts for these sort of things, and I got on there. Favorite. They. I like any shopping site that lets you favorite things or put stuff on a wish list. Yeah. I think that's so, and they do that, and I love it. And I, I've gone on there. I've looked at t-shirts I want, and I'm going to try and just get a whole load in when when I when I when it comes in because I've stopped relying on my mother to buy me cool t-shirts. Because I think <laughs> it, 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 I, I love her buying me loads of cool T-shirts. She's bought me some absolute cracking ones over the years. But I, I, I think I think it's more of a case of I should really be handling this myself. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah, perhaps buy your own clothes. Uh, nice to see PJ Simpson. Did your mommy yeah. buy them for you? Yeah, who else would? <laughs> you guys, of course, know that. Um, as we're pumping out all these incredible uh, episodes for you through the the, the versiversary month. Uh, the two-year anniversary of this show. Mm. Um, and we've given you guys a sample, a sample of Obscure Marvel. We gave you a, a sample of the full-length bonus show. Now, we really swarm uh, out into the world, um, which is one of our favourite Obscure Marvel episodes. I, well, when we say favourite, what we really mean is... Uh, it got the best response out of Will. <laughs> it's the funniest. It's the funny. It, it's, it's the funniest episode. It's one of the funniest episodes. It's but we, so funny. It's we so are putting funny. out. We are putting out obscure Marvel every month. The first of the month. Uh, this month we've already released <laughs> mm. our first ever non-human being based <laughs> obscure Marvel. As we take a look at the Spider Mobile. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> Oh God! It's like the Batmobile. Get it? Um, it? I mean, I mean, it really isn't. But sure. Uh, like, how did you? Uh, <laughs> we had a lot of fun with that episode. Hey, how, 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 hey, Will, you, you know the episode where you sighed the whole way through? Could you tell us what your thoughts? No, I didn't. I didn't sigh the whole way through. My thoughts: the Spidermobile. Oh man, it's funny. It's funny and has so much self awareness to it. It's great. They know what they're doing. They know, they know what they're doing th- with it. This isn't a shameless cash-in. This is actually quite funny. But the end result is... It, 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 look, just, just go pay, pay us money. Listen to the episode. It's, it's, it's marvellous. Each and every month, everyone on Patreon gets access to Obscure Marvel. No matter what you pledge, whether it's the, the, the £3 level or above, uh, you get access to that. And... Um, and as well as that, I mean, we released House of M during the 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 anniversary. What uh, an as episode! A sample. What yeah, an a episode! S- a sample of of uh, what the full length bonus episodes are like. Um, I mean, that's something that if you guys are looking forward to Multiverse of Madness, if you guys are excited about Wonder and all that, that House of M episode has got so much in it. It's not the full story because the full story keeps changing, but um, it's big, it's massive, um, and the full story. I mean, look, we've got plans for this month because House of M. I don't know if you know this, Will. Yes, there's a sequel. Oh yes, you've mentioned it. Yes, there's yes, a yes, sequel yes. 
to the to the event where Wanda changes all of reality and creates House of M. There's a sequel to the event where she destroys the Avengers. We're delving into it this month on Patreon. It's the Avengers, it's the X-Men, it's Magneto. It is the full story, an in-depth look into Wanda and the twisted story of her children, her insane powers. It's the return of Kate Bishop and the Young Avengers. We last looked at the Young Avengers last year. They're back with the Avengers. It's Avengers, the Children's Crusade. And it is only available to people who are at the £10 tier, the VIEP tier, and above on Patreon. That's what you guys get. You get access to incredible bonus content as a way of us saying thank you for supporting us, for not just consuming, but for contributing. And of course, none of this will be possible without those big ballers, those big high achievers, those big cheeses, the world-class wrecking crew, those that go above and beyond, those that say, I could contribute at the £10 tier, the VIEP tier, and for that, I will get Obscure Marvel early access to every show, and the full-length bonus episode. But what if I did all of that, and then I doubled my pledge on top, and I went even further, I went as far as is possible, and I went to the Do The Right Thing tier, and I'm giving 20 quid a month. Because those people are what, frankly, get me excited, get me jazzed, get me to come to these episodes with a spring in my step i'm talking peter j mikey w randall schmidt george bingham zach thomas bastabir sam and bindi and you're damn right that list has grown since the last time we read it because more and more people want to do the right thing more and more people want to be part of that world-class wrecking crew more and more people just love what we do and think we deserve a bit more George Bingham wrote in and said, I realised I could do more. I need to be a better person. (laughs) That's right. That's right. He knows what he's talking about. George Bingham was a huge part of our live show. Corrected. Like, I needed, in that moment, I needed some trivia and info that I'd forgotten (laughs) about. And I'm floundering in front of a live audience. And I go, there's someone in this room that can help me. I reach out to George Bingham. Boom, he's got that info, that trivia right there in that moment. Boom. That's one of my favourite moments of the live show. Bingham the man. We've got Sam joining us. We've got Bastard Beard joining us recently. We've got Bindi joining us recently. I mean, they are here for us. We're coming up with special ways to reward them. We're going to come up with a special way to reward... The, uh, the world-class wrecking crew with T-shirts. We're going to think of something we can do around T-shirts that mm. might be fun for them and might be good for them. Yes. And we're going to come up with something, you know, uh, on, a, on a semi-regular basis we can do for them. You know what I mean? Will, we put out a video during the Versiversary. Yeah. Got a lot of, uh, on Patreon, a lot, of great, a lot of great responses to that. Sounds to me like people want more videos from me and Will. Sounds like maybe that's something that only the 20 quid do the right thing tier should get access to. Indeed. Sounds like maybe we can come up with something and we're going to plan this out and let the people know. Patreon.com slash Marvel versus Marvel. That's where you get bonus content as a reward 
for supporting this show that supports you, that gets you through things, that gets you on your commute, on your crap shift at work, people writing and tell us they've been in the ER waiting room or you know, A and E or ER waiting room for hours and hours on end, they stick on two episodes of Marvel versus Marvel the time <laughs> flies by, broken leg and all. It's what we're here for. Crap shifts, long chores, long drives, long commutes. And that world crass wrecking crew. Peter J. Mikey W. Randall Schmidt. George Bingham, Zach Thomas, Bastabir, Sam, and Bindi. Mega shout out to you guys. Without those people, we couldn't get this done every single time that we do it. Big salute. We're on the precipice of our very, very special episode. Our, our, the, the, the earliest Marvel screen thing we've ever looked at. The earliest Marvel uh, show we've ever looked at. Very excited. You heard the trailer at the top of the show. And we've told you big announcements, sponsors, t-shirts. We've... Uh, we've uh, Paid some bills. We've shouted out the world-class wrecking crew. I think we've done it all. It's time now to hand the reins of the show over to the man that's powered by ignorance, Will Preston. Yes, I am the, the captain now, Rob. I am the captain. So let's press play. Somewhere, an evil entity tells Morgan Le Fay that she has been prevented from breaking through to the earthly realm by a great wizard, and that she has three days to either defeat or kill the wizard and win over his successor to her mastered side. Oh god, the opening music to this film is a mess. Describe it. Sing it if you can. I can't remember it. I was trying to block it out, but it was just like, it was like a garbled horror mess. It didn't know what it was doing. It was trying to be confusing, and it was just awful. I thought it was quite atmospheric. I thought it it let you know this isn't going to be kind of like I don't know the the Hulk series. It's yeah, it's it's, it's very spooky. We'll give it that. Uh, Jessica Walter here, absolutely love her. Not used to seeing her as a young woman though. Too used to seeing her as an older lady. Let's say, let's say it. Will let's we don't like to objectify too often on this show. She is hot. <laughs> She is incredibly she is hot. So, I mean, she's always been a gorgeous woman. She's always. so hot in this movie. She is. I mean, even as an old lady, I thought she was. She still yeah, had, she's, she's, go, she's gorgeous, still gorgeous, gorgeous human being. Yeah, but yeah, uh, hot in this movie. I mean, she's she's got great comedy chops too. I think she's great at that. Great, great performer. But yeah, wow. Don't want to reduce women to an object, but wow, <laughs> we're in agreement there. I'll carry on with the film. In New York City, a man Wong enters an old building with a mysterious symbol shining above the door. Inside, Wong looks for his master, making his way through arcane tunnels and corridors until he reaches the old man he's been looking for, Thomas Lindmer, the Sorcerer Supreme. Studying an ancient book, the master shows Wong, Morgan Le Fay, the evil sorceress, and reveals that the barriers between her realm and Earth's realm are breaking. Wong is instructed to find Stephen Strange at once and prepare his initiation. It's really dark in these early scenes. Mm, I couldn't see yeah. a thing. Uh, I mean, and, and some of that I think is is degradation of the actual footage, but um, it's also really dark. It's, it's darker than it needed to be. I understand you need atmosphere, but come on, guys, have you heard of lighting? So, Morgan Le Fay... I understand that she 
is she, she is from Arthurian legend, but is she also a Marvel character? Yes. Okay. Yes, she is. And forgive me if I, I saw I. I spent my whole life calling her Morgana Le Fay, mm. right? Because I think that's what she is in Arthurian legend, Morgana Le Fay. Okay. And my entire time reading Marvel, I've always in my mind read her name as Morgana Le Fay. And it's only in the last how many years that I've gone, oh, no, it's Morgan. Morgan. I know a Morgan. He was a nasty little kid. Um, <laughs> so how do we do this? There's a couple of ways to do this. Let's do it this way. So Morgan Le Fay is introduced to the Marvel Universe in 1978. The same year this movie comes out. She's introduced in Spider-Woman, issue oh. two. Um, And she... She... So she's like a spirit... From the time of King Arthur, that manages to. So, okay. At some point in the past, she forged an evil version of Excalibur to do something evil to King Arthur. It is discovered in a castle, like a touristy castle thing in England in the modern day of 1978. Um, and she influences a, a a real nasty dude who... You know we had Snapper... Snapper... Snap Wilson. Snap Wilson, right? And the Snap is the nickname bit, right? Yeah. This guy, this this he's a, he's a, he's a bad dude. He stabbed his first person at the age of 12. Ooh. And he was... All this kind of stuff. His surname is Struthers. Here we go. And his nickname, mm. <laughs> this I don't know if this will translate outside of the UK, but the the like the 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 tough guy nickname before the Struthers. Come on, he's Slapper Struthers. <laughs> <laughs> slapper. <laughs> oh, be careful, wow. lads! Here comes a real slapper. <laughs> um. Ooh, but so could you, in, could you explain uh, for okay, yeah. the UK what slapper means? So I think it might only just be in English. I'm not 100, percent but uh, in, in a certain generational age, slapper yeah. is a term for like the village bike yeah. or the horrible S word that people don't tend to use anymore. A very derogatory term for a, a young lady. Um, quite. Certain, yeah. Quite hilarious to see applied to the big tough guy, Slapper Struthers. Um, and uses this, her psychic, so she's not a physical body, she's an entity projecting herself from the past and corrupts this guy and Spider-Woman has to stop him and lots of hijinks and things. Um, I can't remember why Spider-Woman's in London, but she is. Um and she make she'll make several other appearances. She crops up, I think, in uh, Spider Woman issue six as a physical entity at that stage. I'm not 100, percent and does some more shenanigans. Mm-hmm. Now, the the character technically exists before the Marvel universe. Yes, pre Fantastic Four issue one, we go back to 1955. Where there is no Marvel Universe. There is just a couple of comics about Captain America, Human Torch, uh, Namor the Submariner. But they're all forgotten now. Superheroes aren't being done by Marvel. It's the 1950s. Stan Lee is doing cowboys, 
romance <laughs> and anything he sees in TVs and movies. Yeah. Um so Prince Valiant was popular and in a popular film in the in the late 40s 50s Stanley launches The Black Knight. Stanley and Joe Malini. Uh Manili, sorry. Um and that is uh, Arthurian times, Arthurian legend, yep. but it's about a uh, a knight of the round table that has a secret identity. Hmm. So there's a whole he's the mild mannered squire, and then he changes into his all black armor and becomes the black knight. And in that, Morgan Le Fay has a, a role, and she's uh, they get it mixed up really. She is originally so to begin with, she is the wife of Mordred the Evil. <laughs> That sounds like a Monty Python character. Well, no, sorry, he's just. I'm, that, that's not like his name. I'm just saying he's evil, Mordred, the evil guy. Oh, right. Um, sorry, I thought that was actually his name. No, no, no. Um, she's the wife of him, right. and then later on they start talking about her as his mother. <laughs> so the problem with the Arthurian legend is that the stuff that is all they make musicals and films about is very clean and sanitized. The actual legend, I believe there's there's incest and rape and all sorts of horrible stuff goes on. Oh my. Um I believe Morgana is Arthur's um illegitimate sister. Right. Because Arthur's father uh had an affair. She's a dark sorceress. She seduces Arthur uh, with like mind control stuff. They have a bit of incest. <laughs> she <laughs> has a child, which is Mordred. Um, and that's meant to be like in the olden times, that is the worst kind of creature. A, a, a child of incest is like. Yeah. And, but Arthur's a good person, so won't have him cast out or killed or anything. And he ends up. For being the the downfall of Camelot, mm. um, they muck around with who she is in 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 the in the comic books because they're trying to make comics that kids will read. Um, yeah, so when the Marvel Universe starts up, Stanley does this thing he likes to do where he folds a lot of those nineteen fifties Atlas comics into the Marvel Universe, and and says, "Oh, they took pl-. yeah." So. He does that with the Black Knight. He says the Black Knight is historically accurate in the Marvel Universe. Mm. It was the adventures of people. King Arthur was real in the Marvel Universe. And the Black Knight was there. So that Morgan Le Fay is now the same one that crops up in 1978. Right. Although there's nothing in the in the 70s appearances of the character that 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 kind of make that apparent the right. character doesn't turn up and go ah oh, finally i'm back <laughs> i haven't been around since you know and, and relates an exact story that stanley wrote in the 50s but it's accepted now that it's the same character that has pre uh, so it's interesting that she is the first marvel villain on the screen ever mm. well in a movie and she's one of the earliest, technically, canonically, the earliest Marvel villains. Oh, that was twisty and weird. That, so that she does an awful lot of weird stuff. She has lots of run-ins with uh, Iron Man and the Avengers. She doesn't occur or reoccur a huge amount of time. Um, she 
yeah, she battles Iron Man at a Renaissance fair. You know, Americans love Renaissance fairs. What is it with Renaissance fairs? Americans. It's because fans... they don't have history, Will. They don't have any of their own history, and God forbid they acknowledge the <laughs> Native Americans. So they. <laughs> oh, God. Renaissance fairs is just European cosplay. Okay. I, and they I, do it on a I, big I actually, scale. No, but I'm genuinely curious. Uh, if, uh, for American listeners out there, please write in. Tell us your experience. If you have gone to a Renaissance fair, I want to know what they're like. Because I, I, before I die, I want to go to one just to experience it. Because they crop up in every sitcom. Yes, <laughs> so they crop up everywhere. we, as outsiders, assume it is a vital part of your culture because sitcoms tell us it keeps happening. Yeah, I um, need to know more. I need to know this. I, I really want it, to hear. There's one time where she takes over the whole world in, in the 1990s. Uh, like one day, all the Avengers wake up to a world remade in uh, Morgan Le Fay's image. Technology is gone. It's essentially like the Middle Ages, but mm. also with some build, you know, skyscrapers and stuff. Uh, Morgan Le Fay rules the world, and the Avengers are all knights in her service with their real memories missing. Um, that's a, a fun, a fun story. We get a very detailed origin of uh, Morgan Le Fay in the 1990s when she crops up in Namor the Submariner. Um, we see how this Marvel version of the character um, studies with Merlin mm. when she's when she is a, a young woman, promises to become his lover, <laughs> but then uses this like as a ruse to destroy. Camelot and her half brother King Arthur. Mm. Um, so Merlin locks her in a dungeon, and this is where Morgana Le Fay start. Morgan Le Fay starts to use her her magic to astral project herself through into the timelines to the future, escaping her physical prison. Um, so this is like something that Morgan Le Fay Marvel does all the time. She's always casting her astral projection of her body from somewhere in the past to the modern marvel universe she possesses people um and she has all this kind of time travely kind of hijinks and shenanigans um so yeah the astral projection in that story is kind of key because it's a bit like kang the conqueror yeah like he's always traveling to very so her continuity is very messy and jumbled just mm. as kang's is because where she wherever she appears in the modern comic you're reading it's not clear where she that character's origin or starting point is in the past um when her physical body dies she just chills out on the astral plane until she finds a new physical body to inhabit right, so dying yeah. is not a problem for her um killing her is not really gonna do a huge amount it'll slow her down um she does go on to star in another screen appearance, the Hulu series Runaways, the Marvel series Runaways on Hulu, mm. and she is portrayed by another smoking hot uh, uh, esteemed actress, Elizabeth Hurley, plays um, Morgan Le Fay. So, uh, well, yeah. Show was I that mean, again? Runaways. Runaways. Yeah. Okay. It rings a bell, that one. Anyway, back to the story. At a hospital, the arrogant psychiatrist Dr. Stephen Strange is led to his patients by a nurse and begins his appointments. Meanwhile, Morgan is being driven by a cab driver to find Dr. Strange. Following a young woman named Clear Lake to a bookshop, 
the evil sorceress uses her powers to possess the lady. As Morgan tells her possessed victim, she is approached by Lindmer, who tells her that she shall not pass by her. In a flash, Morgan disappears with Clea walking up to, to the old man and throwing him over the side of a bridge and into ah! traffic below. <laughs> and into traffic below, seemingly killing him. As Clea comes to her senses and sees what's happened, she screams and runs away. In the street below, a crowd gathers around Lindemere, who miraculously raises up and limps away before using his magic to heal his injury. Okay, we've, we've, we've talked about Peter Hooten's uh, appearance. Uh, not only does he look like Ray Purchase from Toast of London, he does look and act like a 70s porn star. You know it's that, typical... that particular type of seventies mustache. Yeah, it's 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 it just it just. It's ch- I think it's just the mustache. I, I I think it's the mustache and the slightly curly hair. It's the it's the, mm. it's the hair as well. You know, like this neat and curly hair. On who's the, the yeah? Who does he he is it ah? Oh, who's the um he uh, he died at one stage. He had like the world's biggest penis on camera or something. <laughs> oh. Oh, uh, his very famous name that I, that that rings a bell. That rings a yeah, bell. Yeah, John Holmes. He has a John Holmes like look to him. Yeah, uh, of course, of course, of course. It's standard knowledge that everybody knows that. Not just yeah. That you're right. That curly hair and that. I think that's exactly. Yeah. Can you? It, it, it'll mess up my my connection today because I'm on terrible connection problems. Can you look up John Holmes on the Google image search? Okay, I'm looking up John Holmes. John Holmes, porn porn actor. It's not going to show you anything rude. Yeah. Don't do this at home. Don't do, do, not do this, this at home. home for the love do of God. Do not do this at home. Yeah. <laughs> We're just intrigued by somebody. Do not do this at home. Yeah, that's. Uh, I don't know. Does he, he look he, like Peter Hooten? A little. Have I got without, wrong? I've got him without a mustache. I'm thinking of some. Maybe I'm thinking of someone else then. Type John Holmes mustache. <laughs> I should have done that, and I've got a different. This is not how I pictured doing the episode today. <laughs> <laughs> I forget how to spell moustache. There we go. Yeah. yeah. Does he look just like oh, him? Oh, just like. With a moustache, mm. he's just like him. I'm, that's I'm, I'm pleased. I'm, I'm pleased my mind is not. Yeah, when you said that, I was like, it's because he looks just like John Holmes. And also there's another uh, photo, uh, but I don't think it's actually him. I think it's a uh, very young John Carpenter. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. There we go. There we go. I like the idea that it was a period of time when uh, someone, like a, a casting agent, would pass you in the street and go, I don't know anything about you, but with that moustache, you could be in porn. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Also, moving away for, from such uh, debauchery. Yeah, don't Google that. Don't Google. <laughs> uh, the music for Morgan sounds like a bad video game crossed with a prog rock album, doesn't that? Describe, describe, describe that. That kind of aggressive electronic music that was playing. I really enjoyed all the. I enjoyed all the music in this. I really did. I no, I I I I've got mate. I've gone through uh, phases. I'm going out of my way to listen to that kind of 70s music because you go, you know what, I really am going to listen to early Tangerine Dream before they became 80s and good. And then you hear this stuff and you go, no, I, I, I've done it. I've, I've lived it. I, I'm done. But it's not, meant, it's not meant to be a single you sit and listen to. It's atmosphere. It's just walking around music. Yeah, but it's not supposed to be this repulsive either. <laughs> it's, sorry. It's it, it, probably me. It's probably me, but 
it comes off as repulsive. Anyway, moving away from stuff you shouldn't Google and stuff you shouldn't listen to, uh, we know that Strange, Doctor Strange, isn't a psychiatrist of the comics. But is there a super therapist in the Marvel Universe? Is anybody filling that void? Doc Samson, um, who oh. we've looked at. Uh, he's yeah. an Incredible Hulk character with green hair. Um, he's like he was a, 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 a therapist who gets gammered up, but only a little bit of gamma, like a digestible <laughs> amount of gamma. So he doesn't become uh, a hulked out monster. He just becomes a super ripped dude who's also really in touch with his emotions that and is, is very good at communicating. They easily got the better deal. <laughs> he's got the better that's gamma how, deal. That we, that's, we talked about this. It's the yeah, whole point. I know. He's introduced to become this love yeah. rival to Bruce Banner, and Bruce Banner's all about repression and and rage. And Doc Samson has none of that. He's he's really you know he's excellent. He's he's got great communication skills, like great social communication skills, great emotional communication skills. But he also he's super buff, dude. He looks ripped. He looks he looks amazing. He's got a ponytail, which oh. is obviously a knock against him. But <laughs> yeah, um, I, 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 yeah ponytails on men they just they just no. And he he never really kind of I, I think he's got um uh, his one and only solo series written by Dan Slott, which I haven't read and I should look out because I I think a lot of Dan Slott's writing. But he's always kind of outside of Hulk. He's brought in when. You know, a superhero might need a a, a counselling session. There's oh. a great issue of X Factor in the 90s. It is a government-sponsored mutant team. They've been through a lot. There's one issue that is just their therapy sessions. Oh, I One-on-one like on one conversations with each member of the team and an unseen person. Um, and you get to the end of the issue and it's Doc Samson um, kind of and he gives his evaluation of the team it's a really great issue Peter David great writer there's also something I read in in, in a more recent um, Fantastic Four issue there is I forget where he's from he's a super powered character called Trauma he might Mm. be an old young Avenger that's a weird sentence but we'll just have to go with it and I think Trauma's supernatural ability is to turn into the thing you fear the most so as a therapist he's used for you to confront your fears and desensitize you to it and Mm. he's like that thing in harry potter whatever it's called the bog the bog the what's the thing in harry potter i've read harry potter it's the thing that turns into whatever you fear the most. Well, what do you, you fear do the most? Yeah, yeah. It's in. Um, it's not a bog. Prison. Prisoner, the best movie. The pr- pr- um, Prisoner of Azkaban is also the best book. Uh, and after that, the series falls apart for me. So, yeah, Doc Samson, I would say, is mainly the the super therapist du jour in the Marvel Universe. <laughs> therapist du jour. Okay. <laughs> Which one's the pretentious southerner, Rob? Anyway, back in... Uh, uh, don't give me that look. Du jour. You... Knowing French. Knowing French. Didn't expect that from a Midlands boy, knowing French. I'm just glad you said it, because I did not expect that from you. Anyway, back at his lair, the Sorcerer Supreme is tended to by Wong, who has managed to locate Doctor Strange. Lindemir tells Wong about his encounter with Morgan and how clear will be important to them as she's in grave danger. <coughs> oh, sorry. That night, Clear has a nightmare about the incident. Oh, gosh, are you all right, mate? Do you want me to talk for a minute? Have you got a drink? Uh, I think I'm okay now. 
Oh, okay. Your I, voice went so weird then. I, I, I can I, hear your throat closing up. I thought, has he had a peanut? Is he all right? What's no, going I, on? I've got non-alcoholic lager beer, and I breathed in some of that lager beer, which uh. was... Uh, not the intended use of lager beer. Anyway, that night, Clear has a nightmare about the incident that happened earlier that day, as well as haunting visions of Morgan. The young lady is suffering from psychic aftereffects of Morgan's possession. Waking up in a panic, she runs out of her home, but sees Morgan appear outside of the elevator. In the street, Clear runs Lift. away from the visions of Morgan and is almost run over by a taxi. The driver, seeing that Clear is in great distress, takes her to the hospital. Now, so why have you written taxi and not cab, and but then elevator and not lift? Because I am a unique <laughs> person, Rob, with my own little okay. quirks. I know we're doing things, you know, like you so you know you surprise me by sometimes speaking French in small bursts, okay. despite having a Midlands accent. Because I thought that was physically impossible. <laughs> anyway, uh, I don't want to. I don't want to really grind down about this movie, but this is the second movie I've ever seen which has made me go out loud to no one else in the room. Uh, this feels like an episode of Garth Marenghi's Dark Place. But that's to be expected. Garth Marenghi's Dark Place is trying... Is it... Parody pastiche of seventies, eighties hospital shows. Uh, it, well, that and uh, science fiction horror shows from that period as well. Uh, but hospital-based ones, and this is a hospital scene, and that's why you're saying it. It's, it's, all it's, it is. it's, it's not just the hospital scene. It's, it's the not, music, you've not the spotted, acting, the effects. Yeah, you've not, but you, that's intentional. You've not spotted something going. Ah, is, this is a little bit. Yeah, that's entirely what Dark Place was trying to do. I, I know, I know, but it got it so good. It got the spoof so good that when you see what you know something that. It wasn't really spoofing, but was of the same ilk. You go, sorry, I all I see is dark place. I'm expecting Richard Iwadi to come on camera in a bit and go, "Hello, could you do this, please?" You know that kind of thing. Uh, if you haven't seen Garbarigi's Dark Place, oh man, do watch it. It is a fantastic show. Is it Dark Places? No, it's Dark Place. Oh, okay, it's it, it's one I it's one of my favourite shows of all time. It's so good. It's so so strong. Anyway, so clear. Let's talk about Clea. She plays, obviously, the damsel in distress in this movie. Uh, and she's obviously a character from the Doctor Strange comics, right? She's not created for the film. Yeah, she's a major, major character. Okay. Um, uh, in the early, early days of Doctor Strange, she travels to the Dark Dimension to do battle with Dormammu. And one of Dormammu's uh, slaves, or, I don't know, something like that, is, mm. uh, is, is this, this Clea, who looks humanoid. Okay. Um, and uh, basically ends up following Doctor Strange around and helping him and trying to dissuade him from from fighting Dormammu and sort of saves his life in the end. And Dormammu's going to punish her and, and lock her up forever. And Doctor Strange wins this kind of battle and earns a boon from Dormammu. And his boon is kind of twofold. It's like, leave Earth alone forever. And also, like, uh, release Clear and don't put her in prison or whatever. And from that point on, whenever Doctor Strange is battling Dormammu, mm. Clear is there, and it's clear she likes him and she tries to help him. For, for, for me, Clear serves in this point... For for a number of years, the sort of Maid Marian character trope. Yeah. Right? So in ongoing um, Robin Hood adventures, Marian lives in the castle with the evil guy, mm. 
but pines for Robin Hood and keeps secretly aiding him and trying to undermine the bad guy who doesn't ever hurt her, but does keep her sort of a prisoner, but it's also the only life she's ever known. That's the Maid Marian thing. And Clea serves this role with Dormammu. Um, so she's constantly being, yeah, helping Doctor Strange, even though she lives in the Dark Dimension and, and Dormammu is kind of her lord and master. And then there's a period of time where Dormammu is banished and his sister Umar takes his place and the pattern repeats itself then even stronger in fact um eventually she um comes to realize that earth is she has to get out of the dark dimension nothing's ever going to change mm. the only safe place for it is earth and so doctor strange helps her escape and she comes to earth and but she loses her powers and begins to miss her connection to the dark dimension so she becomes um dr strange's disciple Ooh, his okay. apprentice once he's become sorcerer supreme clear moves into the sanctum spends all her time studying and going on adventures with him and learning and stuff and they grow closer and closer together they it's a very clear will they won't they dance that's being done for for a number of years with clear and dr strange um she is infatuated and loves him um he cares for her deeply but has all these you know concerns and responsibilities and oh things i must do and can i ever be with another person will i be putting them at risk and will i be giving them can i give them a life a true real life and partnership when i have to keep flying off to the bog dimension to fight a giant squirrel um she clearly goes back to the um dark dimension to join a rebellion Mm. to dethrone uma the tyrant and that's when she finds out that uma this demigod this ancient demigod is actually her mother um and that she is this kind of the, the the child of these terrifying creatures um uma is defeated and banished forever and clear becomes the queen and the ruler of the dark dimension um so she really ascends this very very high and powerful position um in the in the mystic realms mm. she tries to like marry stephen strange and make him her consort but again we're back to the will they won't they it's like i can't i've got my duties i i can't come to the dark dimension i've got to i've got to look after the earth realm i've got to do all of this and you don't need my wisdom anymore because you're you've defeated a demigod without me you don't need me anymore and then they, they there's a lot of back and forth and they they kind of they, this thing happens where they confess their proper love they can't ever legally be married because she's not a real person you know, on, <laughs> on earth yeah, yeah. so they have this like um they wear magic rings which mm. they this is so there's actually only one ring Okay. But it, it mystically has two aspects. Mm. So they both wear the same ring, if that makes sense, at the same time. So it's like a quantum through, ring. No, it's mystic. It's magic. It's not quantum anything. And I've just explained what it is. Well, sounds like quantum to me, mate. <laughs> it's not quantum, so, well, it's just magical. It happens to exist in the same space and time. 
I'm it's not French. quantum. Nothing to do with quantum. I also nothing talk, to do with quantum. I also talk French. <laughs> <laughs> um, and they they kind of go back and forth. Like Clear visits Earth, but she can't stay there for too long. And Doctor Strange visits a dark dimension, vice versa. Mm. Um, so their 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 relationship becomes quite fractured during that that period of time. Currently in the Marvel Universe, really cool comic being published called Strange. Doctor Strange is, I believe, dead. Hmm. And Clea has been anointed and ascended the new Sorcerer Supreme and the new Guardian of the Earth Realm. Um, she's taken the name Strange when she's in her robe and fighting m- m- fighting bad guys to honour Stephen. And she's working with uh, Wong and also other people to try and find a way to bring her husband back. I... I'm just really angry I can't read all these comics. Because, like, I've got DC at my disposal. I, I can read DC. And I've tried reading the first few Batman comics. What do you mean? The the early, the the early original Batman comics. And I Why wish, would you do that to yourself? <laughs> because I want to go through an entire series of... That is, honestly, like, that you, you couldn't... You couldn't... You couldn't do... A, like, that... There are many, many times when that is... You should not start the American office on season one. Mm. You should not start Parks and Rec on season one. You should start when they find their feet, enjoy it, and then when you've got that, go back and... You shouldn't start Batman. Why would you want to read a 1930s comic? It's only... You know only, how much the, the completionist are. You know how much the completionist it's, it's, But it's just that you will not it's enjoy bad. it. It's bad. Yes. It's not... It's, not, it's just a completely different culture yeah it really is it can be viewed as a historical document exactly. and there are things you can analyze and pick out of it but you need to pick and choose with comics and, and i have this conversation quite a lot you know people get in touch and say i want to start where should i start with spider-man do i start in the 1960s no don't start in the 1960s when you have developed I'm not saying this is you because you obviously know how to read comics mm. but people that haven't read a comic book before the worst thing they could do is try and start at the beginning because they haven't been developed properly yet what's uh, just yeah having just where should I start with Batman if it's you... a difficult question and it kind of depends on what you like well I like the Frank you... Miller stuff so the 80s obviously or... <sighs> <laughs> should we say 70s mm. and I'll just do that well I would recommend reading Batman Year One if you like Frank Miller stuff. I've done that, and I would read none of his other Batman stuff because <laughs> <laughs> it's not, it's not, it's not. Dark Knight Returns is not Batman, and I just won't hear anything. Any, any, I won't have another conversation about it. It's not Batman. It's a parody of Batman. Um, you know how like we just we we, we basically worked out that uh, Frank Miller's Daredevil was a parody of Daredevil. Yeah, same with his Batman. Um, I the Grant Morrison stuff for me is high. It's it's high octane superhero stuff, man. If you like that, if you want, well, this is we're going really way off topic here. I'm sorry, I just want to know now. Um, again, it would it would depend on what stories you like and what kind of Batman you enjoy the most. I since I don't have to go through the whole thing in order, I'm just going to start with Grant Morrison then. Okay, <laughs> I'll just do that. Yeah. I would. It means you have to read Final Crisis as well. Oh, for the love of God, everything's tied up together. This is like trying to untangle a box of cables. Anyway, back to- I sent you the Grant Morrison reading order once. I was like, "This will." There you go. It's there. 
Okay, I'll have to go back on our, our little chats and have to have a go. Should we get back to this show? Let's just get back to the show, guys. That was a bit that was a bit strenuous. People are going, oh, I don't like Batman, Will. He's not in the MCU. So, at the hospital, Doctor Strange is called down to the ER to see Clear. Upon seeing her, the Doctor recalls seeing her before in a vision. Clear reveals... Wait, wait. wait. Her surname, they give her a surname in this. Yeah. In the comics, she's just clear. Oh because no! She's... I just realised the surname and what it. Her means. surname's Lake. Oh, that's so they called her Clear Lake. <laughs> that is so like it's bad. a Clear Lake. Why? So uh, why? Why would they do that? Okay. Anyway, Clear reveals that uh, what happened with Lindy being pushed off a bridge and how she's afraid to go to sleep or she'll die. As Doctor Strange leaves the room, he passes Morgan in the hospital corridor where he feels her presence. Elsewhere, Wong updates Lindmer about Clear's location. Later at the hospital, Clear refuses her medication when she finds it will make her go to sleep and has a breakdown. Strange intervenes and takes care of her. As Wong sees off Lindmer in a taxi, he passes Morgan, who spots the Sorcerer Supreme's lair. She watches a stray cat approach the front door, only to be startled by Lindmer's enchantment scare it away. I have to say that the Sanctum just feels so underwhelming on the outside. But then again, the whole idea with that it hides in plain sight. I don't know. I'm not sure. I'm not sure if that's the idea of the Sanctum, personally. Um, It's very... Like, because it's a small... It's a small place, isn't it? It's... Yeah, it's just a little layer. A layer. (laughs) I don't know why. That's the only one I can think of. A layer. It's a layer. It's a building. It's a house. Come I on, guess. Come on, let's but it's not like the classic brownstone that Doctor Strange has in the movie or no. in the. It, it, I mean, with, the, with Doctor Strange, you know that some magic stuff's happening behind that door. You just. It's know. just. I think. I think they talk. You talked in your production notes about how they had a really great budget, but I don't know, man. I don't know. <laughs> where, I, mean, I guess it went on. The, I guess it went on the effects because, like you, I would. I want. Yeah, I want it to be this grand. Like a place that was built in the nineteen tens, in you know when when they were really building like Manhattan and yeah. and the village and stuff. The thing is, you could have easily got something like that. You could a have grand e- old mansion. Easily yeah. got some. There's so many buildings like that. You don't even have to do anything that like iconic within the city. There are so many buildings, but they went with standard, kind of semi-detached, terraced house if you yeah if you see the gilded age which is like the uh, american downton spin-off that's all about you know the these these families in kind of new york new york society manhattan society is kind of like starting up and they've all got or or built these these big mansions um on a regular and that's kind of the big difference is that downton there's a huge plot of land and a big mansion in the middle and then in in new york with this with this show it's like oh no it's on a street <laughs> and there's a shop over the roads and uh, you know taxis and stuff yeah um yeah so about on the subjects of the sanctum center what can you tell us about it can you tell us anything more than we know it's located. It's located. 177A Bleecker Street, New York City. On the corner of Bleecker Street and Fenno Place, the heart of Greenwich Village. Mm. Um, we learn over time okay. that the location where it's been built has been a focal point for mystical energies um, for hundreds and hundreds of years. Um, it's a, a nerve centre of ley lines, 
um, before there were any Western settlements, uh, a powerful Native American shaman cursed the land in order to bind a chaos entity called Tyanon to the place and bar Tyanon from ever getting full access to Earth. Um, so Tyanon is is trapped in this area, this specific area of land. And the site continued to serve as like a place for arcane Native American, Native Indian rituals. Native Indian? Is that a right term? I don't think it is. I think it's Native American. Um, okay. Shamans and uh, and all sorts would, would journey to that land for vision, for vision quests. Um, and then when the Europeans came, it became a site for pagan sacrifices. Mm. Um, it was a, um, uh, a potter's uh, a potter's field, you know, um, a pauper's grave. Do you know potter's field is a, 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 an old term for like a mass grave for people with no money. Yeah, I've heard of this before. Yeah. It, it was like a, a so it was a, a, a not just for paupers, but for inmates for New York's first penitentiary, Newgate Prison. Mm. They were all buried there. The the so the damned and the unsaved, the wretched. Uh, as well as pagan rituals that was all going on there and it was known for before dr strange came along and bought it it was known in the area as a, a, a it was you know it was a haunted place that everyone steered clear of that's what drew dr strange to it and that's why he he, he wanted to buy it and to uh, base his operations there because of all this mystical energy flying around um and the first thing he did was you know uh get rid of uh Tyanon completely and was like you shouldn't be here <laughs> banished Tyanon completely and mm. imprisoned her somewhere else um and it is served <coughs> as a a sanctuary for here for for heroes in need on many many different mm. occasions Bruce Banner and the Hulk I mean right one of the first things that happens in the 70s is Doctor Strange uh, the Hulk frees Doctor Strange from a, a weird dimension where he's been trapped. We never saw him get trapped because his comic got cancelled. Um, <laughs> but Doctor Hulk is running around and he sees Doctor Strange and he frees him. And they come back. To, Doctor Strange then takes both of them back to Earth. He sees Hulk turn into Bruce Banner. And he takes him to his house and gives him some help and some support. And a friendship is kind of forged right there. 1970. Um, that that kind of happens. And so Bruce Banner and the Hulk are at the Sanctum Sanctorum an awful lot. Um, he's often visiting there for respite. Even in the Hulk's most feral state, it's said that he has this sort of like animal homing instinct, which will carry him back to the Sanctum when he needs to rest. He just knows that is a safe place for the Hulk, even in his wounded animal kind of thing. When the Silver Surfer was was banished and, and sort of trapped to Earth and unable to ride the spaceways, mm. he lived at the Sanctum um, because he could uh, go around without being kind of gawked at and harassed and all that sort of stuff. So he had a, a home. Many of the different defenders lived at the Sanctum at various times. The defenders were made up of an, a weird bunch of people, Valkyrie, the Asgardian. You know, she can't rent a flat. So she lives at the Sanctum. Gargoyle, who is a, a giant orange gargoyle person. You know, all these kind of people come and go through the Sanctum's doors. 
during um the civil war well the end of civil war and through dark reign we talked about when civil war the marvel civil war comes to an end mm. um all the unregistered unregistered superheroes become criminals and outlaws hunted by shield and the police and tony stark um and that carries on even when norman osborne is in charge the renegade team of new avengers live at the sanctum with dr strange um and dr strange casts powerful magic that disguises the sanctum sanctorum as an abandoned building with giant banners across all windows and sides that say coming soon your favorite neighborhood starbucks (laughs) this ensures that no one pays it a second moment's glance or notice in uh, in new york oh lord that is tremendous i love that so back to the film Later, Doctor Strange attends a meeting with other doctors and nurses regarding their concerns with Clear. Meanwhile, Lindner arrives at reception and uses his powers to manipulate the nurses to gain access to Clear. Lindner meets with Doctor Strange in his office, where Stephen reveals that he had a dream about Lindner being pushed over a railing by Clear. I've just realised the last three sentences end with the word Clear. Very bad writing on my part. (laughs) Lindner reveals that this was not a dream. Strange takes Lindmer's cards and notices that the card bears the same symbol as his ring. As the Sorcerer Supreme shakes Stephen's hand, he casts a spell on the Doctor. Checking up on Clear, Strange Strange discovers that the head of his department has sedated Clear against his directions and she appears to slip into a coma from which Strange is unable to revive her. So, Thomas Lindmer here is basically the role of the Ancient One uh, in the movie. Uh, is he a Marvel character? He is not, no. I mean, he's he's, he's definitely playing the role of, of mentor here. Yeah, he's doing that which, role. Which the Ancient One serves in, in, in the MCU. Hmm. Um, and in the comic books. IMDB makes a very strange claim uh, when you go to this um, this entry for Doctor Strange. In the 1978, it claims that there's a disembodied voice we hear at the end of this movie. Mm. IMDb claims and credits this disembodied voice as the Ancient One. Okay. And there's nothing really in the text that kind of supports this, but that's kind of a bit interesting. That suggests that Linmere isn't the Ancient One, isn't like the source of knowledge and wisdom and and kind of magic mm. is just almost like the another regular everyday fella with like Doctor Strange who has been indoctrinated into this and got powers. Does that makes sense. He's he's almost like yeah, it's almost like uh, Doctor Strange has got to replace this bloke and work under the ancient one. Ah, oh, right, okay. There's nothing really in the text to kind of say that i guess but yeah I, what I, I, I saw when i was looking for production notes i saw something about that and i was like this just seems unclear yeah it's, it's, it's that speculation i'm like i am not it feels this. like it yeah yeah um it, it it's the it's it's hard to kind of i don't know what you think about this it's hard to say whether is is it is this better is getting rid of the ancient one altogether mm. and having a western man play a western man who sort of has powers is that better than having a Western actor play the Ancient One, like in the MCU movie? 
Um, Marvel can't seem to bring itself to have an Asian character be the source of all knowledge, wisdom, and power in 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 these when telling this story. Yeah, um, they seem to both. They've had two bites of the apple. Well, Mar- I mean, Marvel weren't involved in this whatsoever, were they? Really, mm. Stan claims he was. Although you know the seventies depiction of the ancient one is a very 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 stereotypical like a stereotypical idea I, I guess it's what westerners think about an Asian character in their mind in the seventies It's a very stereotyped thing of the the old man with the flowing robes and the i don't know maybe we're better off without seeing that I'm not sure, but no Lindemir is not. A, fe- a feature or a figure in, in Doctor Strange. Back to the film. With no one else left, to, sorry, nowhere else left to turn to, Strange visits Lindemar's address, unaware he's being stalked by Morgan, who unsuccessfully tries to use her powers to kill Strange. Later at Lindemar's lair, he reveals that the ring Stephen's father gave him matches the same insignia on the building and the business card. Lindemar reveals that he knew Stephen's father and how his death was tragic. Lindmer also reveals that he is gifted with hidden talents. Clear can be saved by Lindmer's magic powers, but only if he has Doctor Strange's help. The Doctor initially scoffs at Lindmer's claims that he's a sorcerer, but is shortly convinced after Lindmer reveals he knows how exactly Stephen's parents died. The Sorcerer Supreme also imparts to Strange that there are many different realms beyond the physical world, Clear's spirit is trapped in them, and only Strange can save her. When Stephen Strange enters uh, Lindemar's house, the uh, I have to say, there's some of the worst handheld camera shooting I've ever seen. Talk us through it. it he enters the house with the front door, and the camera is looking at the front door from the inside, and he enters, and he's sort of tra- walking backwards, trading behind, and the, the zoom on it is too zoomed in. It's shaky. It's like... <laughs> so shaky. Isn't it like... Do you know what it feels? It feels like a very early, hey, we're doing a behind-the-scenes documentary of this film, and yeah. you're expecting that kind of thing. To have this thing in the actual finished product as a part of the actual narrative and film is shocking. And I can't work out why you would want to do that handheld shot the, at all. They, they, there's, there's nothing in this scene that calls for Cut it. to a wide. Cut, Just have the wide shot. Cut to a static wide shot. Cut to a static wide shot. I, I mean, no, oh, no. I'm walking away from this. I'm going to get angry if I keep going down. I'm just going to go. I'm going to basically go in a loop and talk about it. Anyway. Also, <laughs> we're, 90, we're 50 minutes into a 90-minute film. And we finally got to the "you're a wizard, Harry" bit. Bloody hell! That is again, it's the it's it's because a lot of TV people view high concept as um, off-putting to an audience. Like the the Hulk, the Incredible Hulk stuff doesn't start when you're getting the Hulk. You've got this long, long build-up of pe- people in in you know jackets and suits and ties walking around talking doing exposition endless exposition Just get you don't get to see the hulk until the very end of of the first you know it goes on and on and on i think it's a two-parter and it's, it's just, so it's, I'm not surprised. It's a, it's it's that it's that built. You know, it's like it's like the lost effect. Yeah. It's the there might be a monster, but mainly, <laughs> what isn't this interesting? People, just normal people, don't get scared off. America, don't get scared off. They're just regular people. Might be a magician, but don't get scared off. Do, 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 this is this is what this has made me think of something. Remember when Game of Thrones first came out, 
Uh, um, I don't know if you ever watched Game of Thrones or tried to. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, how, how, at which point did you stop watching? Out of interest. No, I watched the whole thing. Oh, I, I stopped watching after like season five or something. I, I lost interest. And I've read the books. I've read all the books and everything. Um, you remember when the first season of Game of Thrones came out, people were complaining that there wasn't enough dragons in it or something, that they're really holding back on some of the uh, dragony stuff. I remember that being complaints amongst people I'd, uh, I was talking with. You know, this is before I watched it. Yeah. Yeah. That e- Even today, there's this holding back of high concepts you know, uh, but but uh, would you say would you say that's a similar kind of the holding back? Well, the dragons don't appear until the end of the first book, so there's no they couldn't have done anything else with Game of Thrones, could they? Yeah, if if this felt like they were they were they started with an ice zombie mm. killing someone in the snow, um, but that, even, <sighs> even then you don't know if it's an I, ice zombie. I, it's basically a thing. I think it's been and gone. I I don't I don't think. I don't think people are put off by high concept at all anymore. Yeah, because you watch uh, like the film version of, of Doctor Strange immediately goes into this kind of thing. In the first 10 minutes, you're seeing crazy uh, multidimensional stuff happen. I mean, sim- simply the popularity, omnipresence of the Marvel stuff, I think, shows that, that high concept... Just it, it's not it isn't off putting to people anymore. In fact, it's the opposite. It draws people in. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, you could argue that. Yeah. So this is I didn't expect this to happen because I I didn't really think about it. We might have discussed it. I, I might have glazed over when you were saying something for uh, years ago, or you know, whenever we discussed Doctor Strange. But I don't have no rec- recollection of ever talking about his parents. So there's a lot of talk about his father in this movie. I mean. Is there anything mystic about Doctor Strange's family in the comic books? Because I'm trying to remember anything we talked about, and I can't seem to remember anything. There's no real talk of his um, family. I don't think until the 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 80s, hmm. when we start to learn a little bit more. We learn that um, he has a brother. Right. We learn that his uh, his mother died. When he was young, and then his younger, sorry, and then two years after his mother died, his father died, fell ill, fell gravely deathbed ill. Mm. And Stephen Strange was so grief stricken by his mother's death, he refused to go and see his dad on his deathbed. And then his dad passed away without Stephen ever being there. This was all painted as kind of part of his driving force of going towards being a surgeon healing the sick, curing people, fighting death, right? Mm. Literally. And bleeds over into what he does with, with magic. Um, and his his brother, Victor Strange, was completely angry and outraged that, he, that, that Stephen stayed away from their dad when he was dying and confronts him. They have a big argument, uh, you know, angry, angry, grief-ridden argument. And... Victor, after this argument, runs out of the apartment and gets run down by a car in the street as soon as he's at the front door. And he dies. And a guilt-stricken, grief-wracked Stephen Strange, who has just now lost everyone in his family in a very short space of time, couldn't bring himself to bury his, his brother, had his body placed in cold storage hoping that like maybe a future medical breakthrough 
could could um could revive him or something like that you know that mm. cryogenic business but i don't think it was quite cryogenics and then in the present day of the 80s um his brother comes back as the first new vampire after doctor strange's um spells and protections on the earth realm that keep vampires from ever existing they are shattered and broken in the in the late 80s and we see a return of vampires and victor kind of emerges from this this cold storage as um the first of the new vampires um the undead are are back and Doctor Strange's brother is one of them giving him this big you know kind of vested interest in the, in the new vampires walking the the realm and Victor is almost immediately enslaved by um one of Doctor Strange's uh she's generally a, a villain she's a voodoo priestess called Marie Lavu and she uses this powerful love spell to make him an like an obedient love slave and uses him as like her pet vampire sets him about stealing mystic items and, and, and mystic powers around the world she has him become the latest barren blood in in the marvel universe barren blood is a name used by several different powerful vampires over the years it's very connected to um union jack the invaders and and, and captain america um and kind of the first and the second world war um Victor is able to kind of escape the control and everything and helps his turns against her, helps his brother defeat the bad guys and becomes part of Doctor Strange's like supporting cast and an ally. Um, he briefly flirted with this idea of becoming like um, a, a, an, a, an 80s anti-hero, right? Mm. Like like Wolverine, Punisher, wow. Morbius, um, hunting down and killing evildoers. But that all came crashing down when he found out that any bad guy that he has ever killed and taken out has come back as a powerful vampire without him knowing. Oh god. So when he does this, when he, you know, kills a bunch of drug dealers or whatever, he's not making the world a better place. He's actively making it a worse place because now there's six or seven vampire-powered drug dealers on the streets. Um eventually his his, his craving for blood overwhelms him he becomes more like animalistic and he he fears constantly that he's gonna you know lose his mind and prey on the innocent and so he takes a stake a wooden stake and he ends his second life and uh sort of this the thing about him going off to join you know the the, the mom and dad and, and things in the afterlife and yeah, it's a short, sad little little vampire tale, oh, wow. as they all kind of were. Late eighties, early nineties, vampires were big, baby, and Doctor Strange wasn't going to miss out any of that <laughs> supernatural juju. Some of that vampire cash. Yeah, baby. Anyway, get that Anne Rice in there, injected <sighs> in the veins, baby. God, yeah, what a time that was. Anyway. Lindbergh explains the concept of the astral planes to Stephen Strange and provides him with the incantation to banish the ancient demon Balzaroth before sending Strange into the astral plane. As Stephen Strange warps into the astral plane, Morgan gives instructions to give uh, Morgan gives instructions to give Strange to her. Elsewhere in the astral plane, Strange rescues Clear and tries to extract her, but is soon pursued by Balzaroth. 
Strange loses Clear and is forced to battle the demon without a second to lose. Strange repeats the incantation and Balzaroth is repelled. He grabs Clear and continues the rescue where Clear's consciousness re-enters the Earth Realm. The evil entity asks La Fay why she spared Strange. She confesses to being attracted to him and the demon threatens to make her suffer eternity as an elderly woman. She vows that she will not fail. Look, I know the astral plane scene would be naff, and in an ironic way, it didn't disappoint in its naffness. <laughs> Talk me through it. What do you mean? Well, it gets transported to the astral plane, and it feels like an old episode of Doctor Who or something, with the swirly, kaleidoscopy background. He's like going, whoa, and swaling. Off. Yeah, it feels like something from the 1970s, Will. That's what you're describing. <laughs> yeah, I know, but it's just, <laughs> it's just so... Oh god! You, you know when something's incredibly of its time that you've seen it spoofed so many times, and not just Garth Marenghi's Dark Place, but other things. And you're going, "This is fantastic! I've got this kind of thing at the source. I've got the root source of this ridiculousness <laughs> right here." It was great. Also, from a video game perspective, the shortest boss fight I've ever seen. Yeah, it didn't last long, did it? Yeah, you've got this uh, demon riding on the back of a horse, and you're going, "Hello, things are really uh, you know hotting up now. This is great." And we can't afford to. Well, you can't afford to actually film a fight with this demon. We cannot afford that. We cannot no. afford because they spent all the money. What well, they spend all the money on special effects? What other special? I'm really struggling. I really struggled. I know. I, I kept struggling to see. Maybe it's that astral plane bit. It could. Oh. No. Green screen, no. I imagine, was very expensive. They had to invent it, of course, for this movie. Okay, because before, so. <laughs> before they were going, what, what are we going to do? We, 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 we don't know how to superimpose people on anything with, a, with, a, with some kind of screen that's a colour. Anyway, uh, Bowseroth, the shortest boss fight. That's a random demon name. It does sound incredibly demon-y, uh, familiarly demon-y. Is it a Marvel character from the comics? What do you think? I reckon Bowseroth is an actual thing from scripture. You fool! No, it isn't. Um, <laughs> Thank you, Rob. But, but I um, a little bit of Gilbert Gottfried for you. But I um, oh, well, I don't I know that did. one. <laughs> There's a very famous episode of Jeopardy, um, not Jeopardy of um, the the what's Hollywood the one? Squares. The celebrity celebrity squares, squares, Hollywood yeah. Squares. Yeah, where. The couple have to, the, the two contestants yeah. have to keep coming back to him because he's the last square. Yeah. So whoever gets him will win. Yeah. And he keeps coming with the facts and he keeps convincing them which one is the right one. And every time they go, I'm going to, I'm going to say he's telling the truth. And every time he goes, you fool. <laughs> and it goes on for like 15 minutes. You and fool. The whole audience is falling about. The contestant, the host, everyone is killing themselves. And it's the most 90s thing you'll ever see because, like, everyone, every time they cut to another square, it is so 90s, it's unreal. I believe one of them is Stone Cold Steve Austin. It's no. powerfully 90s. Um, so, yeah, if you just, on, on Twitter, it, did, it went viral on Twitter. Gilbert Gottfried, you fool. I, I've got anyway. the video lined up for after we've recorded this so I could watch so, it. So, Bowseroth isn't, no, but, however, I did a little bit of your work and dug into this, Balzaroth is played by an uncredited actor called Ted Cassidy. Yeah, I, now, I looked Ted at that. Now, Ted Cassidy has hmm. already played... What, what? What are you shaking your head at me for? I, I, I looked at that and went, eh, I don't know him. Ted Cassidy, that's why I'm about to tell you. Okay. Otherwise, uh, did you think this was where the segment was going to end? 
I was hoping so. Ted Cassidy <laughs> has appeared in three other Marvel-related products no. productions. In 1967, in the original Fantastic Four cartoon, he's the voice of Galactus. Okay. In the 1978 Incredible Hulk TV series, he's the freaking narrator <laughs> at the start that talks you through the opening sequence. And in the 1978 new Fantastic Four cartoon, the new Fantastic Four, he's the voice of the thing. So in 1978, he's in three Marvel productions in one year. Big up, Ted Cassidy. Is this is this um, your way of shaming me for not doing yeah. my job? Okay, that's right. <laughs> you you fool! I, I can't. Well, I thought Bowseroth was going to be a natural talking point, but uh, you know, I didn't want to say about him, so I just dug in. I dug in, baby. Thank you. Strange checks on Clear and agrees to dinner with her later. Later that evening, he goes to see Lindemar and Wong and rejects the reality of magic despite his recent experiences. As he leaves, he tries to remove his father's ring and finds he cannot. On his way out, he lets a strange stray cat into the house. The cat transforms into Lefay and bests Wong, seemingly killing him. She then defeats Lindemar, but she can't defeat sorry she cannot kill him in this world so she summons asmodeus prince of hell to translindmer to the demon realms i i i have to say that letting a stray cat into someone's house after insulting them and storming out is a spectacular fu isn't it I agree. Yeah, it's like yeah. it's like you you you've, you've insulted their beliefs. You've 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 denounced them. I'm on my way out. Oh, might as well let a stray cat in here just to piss all over the place. Yeah, or a rat. <laughs> Same thing. Yeah, just let them into the house. It's like oh, oh, I I know it's like meant to be like this kind of harmless. Oh, a stray cat. Well, better let him inside because I'm a nice mm. man. No, I read that as oh, he's really going for it now. <laughs> <laughs> also, the act, the fight. I was actually surprised by how good the special effects were in these scenes. I mean, they're not great. This bit was good, wasn't it? This is where the man, all the money went. It's all the yeah, money. Yeah, all of it here. Yeah, it was actually not bad. Uh, that was it. Was it was a bonus? Uh, so. And did you know? Did you think of the fire? There's the fire bits in there. Isn't I it? like that. In the... I like that. It felt. But then when you when you when you <laughs> you hear the actor talk about how yeah I'm lying in a circle of fire, hoping it doesn't spread. I'm there going yeah, this paid off. That like Asmodeus. So is Asmodeus a demon that Doctor Strange has ever fought in the original comics? Uh, Prince of Hell, which I always thought was, you know, Satan. Marvel Universe. I don't know if Satan plays a role. It's normally Mephisto. Yeah. Um, What's the, the other Lord name of, of Mephisto again? There was another. What do you mean? Mephistopheles. Oh, was that in the? Not in Marvel. Not really in Marvel though. But yeah. Yeah. That's in wider fiction. Um. Uh, uh, so Asmodeus is a high-profile Doctor Strange villain. Right up, just before, right, right before the sixties into the seventies, right. Mm. But he's not a demon. He's not the Prince of Hell. He's a regular dude called Charles Benton, um, and he's a very significant villain. Though he, at some point, like um, finds a group of of, of uh, cultists that worship the demon Satanish, um, <laughs> and they satanish it's like satan it's like it's, it goes, but, is, is, is this guy the devil no he's just satanish, he's satanish. He's satanish. <laughs> yeah um and they they dress up in these uh red costumes yeah. with kind of like devil appearances and call themselves the sons of satanish um 
and uh, Benton is is in exchange for his soul given supernatural powers and renames himself as Modius, the leader of the cult. Um, and they begin this campaign against Doctor Strange. Uh, Benton is uh, he's a I think he's a doctor as well, mm. um, and he repeatedly contacts Doctor Strange as his normal self in the real world trying to hire him as a medical assistant quite an insulting way of going about it um he keeps claiming that dr strange's sorcery is not a career and why don't you come and work for me as my assistant um and then as osmodius he does all sorts of stuff. He he um, he gets clear under his mystical control. He uses her to steal the book of the Vishanti, which is one of Doctor Strange's greatest collections of power and occult lore. Um, and they also capture Doctor Strange himself. The whole cult do, and they exile Clear and Doctor Strange to another dimension. Right. This is the dude that steals Doctor Strange's face. And his name and his body. Asmodeus becomes Doctor Strange um, in order to fool the Ancient One's spirit and all sorts of other stuff in the in the Earth realm. And so it's because of Doctor uh, of Asmodeus that Doctor Strange has to have a big blue face when he comes back. He goes, ah, I've got a big blue face. Um, he uses Asmodeus uses the Book of the Vishanti. He learns the. The Dread Spell of Fire and Ice. Interesting, we were talking about Game of Thrones a minute ago. Very interesting, that. The Dread Spell of Fire and Ice, which is the most insane spell, power level, I have ever heard of. It summons Surtur, the the Asgardian fire demon, and the ice giant Ymir to Earth to destroy it, right? This is an insane level of power. Surtur <laughs> is like the... You talk about boss... He is the end-level boss in, of Thor. Ooh. There is no... He is He is prophesied that Surtur, in the Ragnarok cycle, the Ragnarok prophecies, Surtur destroys Asbard, Asgard, kills all the gods, and destroys all the, the, the nine realms. Mm. And Ymir is the... the you know, is, is Ymir... Loki's dad, so it's a, just an insane power level. Homeboy Asmodeus just summons up these Asgardian endgame level bosses uh, to destroy just New York. <laughs> it's mad. <laughs> okay, at, at Clear's flat, Strange picks her up for their dinner date, but Morgan appears in the flat and renders Clear unconscious promising Stephen that she will not harm her as long as he comes with her to the demon realm. He agrees. Once there, he appears to be under her command. She offers him love, wealth, power and knowledge. She attempts to seduce him and on the verge of success, asks him to remove his ring. He he protests that only Lindmer can remove it, but she counters that he can do it if he tries. He refuses, defies her. She attacks him. But he defeats her, rescues Lindbergh, and returns them to the earthly realm, where he also revives Wong. Back in the demon realm, as punishment for her failure, the evil entity transforms Le Fay into an old hag. So, there's 15 minutes left in this movie, and he's only <laughs> just started using his powers. My god. 
I know- yeah, I mean, sorry. No, I was about to say, I know we're hammering the, the point home that back then people weren't ready for high concept stuff and you had to introduce them to it carefully. But this really takes the mickey. It really does. It, it, it's like the coolest bits of the... Well, we've seen other otherworldly stuff happen. It's not like we haven't seen any magic all along. It's just he's only just learned to do it, I suppose. It's but, like a Superman film where it ends with him putting on the cape. But I do think it... I wonder if perhaps part of it is like so that you go, oh, I really want to see more of that. Yeah. I hope they make a series of it. Yeah, okay. Um, who knows? Yeah. I just feel that you could have found a better balancing yes, point. Yes, I, I agree. Like, 100%. Also, for Morgan Le Fay gets ruddy horny. <laughs> She's horny in all of this. She's yeah. horny. She nearly throws all her plans out because she just really fancies uh, Peter Wooden. Because that moustache does things that to a lady. She knows, she knows he's a porn star. I mean, does she, does she do that in the comic books? Does she seduce Strange or any other famous Marvel character? Um, she has a <laughs> she has a thing going with Doctor Doom. Oh Lord, um, that's incredibly so kinky. There's a famous um, story where Iron Man and Doctor Doom get thrown back in time to the age of Camelot, mm. um, and. Uh, Doom wants to enlist Morgan to help free his mother from hell. That's a recurring theme with Doctor Doom. Mm. And she's like, it's almost like strangers on a train. She's like, okay, but you've got to help me kill King Arthur. Mm. Um, And so they first have a a partnership then. But that's a more innocent time. I forget when that is. The 80s must Mm. be. Um, early 80s I think and then in 2008 in the Mighty Avengers we see them back together again but very much like in bed together um, and it is a an exchange of evil magics and plans and things and she's like you have to bring me this certain thing from the future um, and she's kind of lazing coquettishly in bed and Doom is uh. just sort of getting up and putting his clothes on and uh, and he's like fine but in exchange you know I you've got to teach me how to raise an army from the dead um, and he so yeah this is part of that thing of Doom can travel in time, so he's gone back in time, and she can astral project her spirit into someone in the future and things. So there's a lot of time traveling going on with these pair. Um, but Doctor Doom never returns to her for some reason. Like um, oh, because he's he's yeah, he gets captured. He gets beaten and captured by uh, the Dark. No, by the Avengers. Mm. But she's like ghosting Morgan Le Fay is the biggest mistake you can make. <laughs> she seeks revenge on Doom. Um, she attempts to. She's about to kill him as a child, but then she's like, "No, I want you to know why I'm killing you." Mm. Um, so she uh, raises an army of the dead and attacks um, Latveria. Um, the, remember the century? We talked about the century. The century, yeah, I remember the century. He's like, I'm going to end this immediately. Rips mm. her head off, but it, she's back from the another. She just comes back from another point in time. Um, 
yeah it's an ongoing thing so yeah there's this there's this seduction and dalliance with Doctor Doom that ends very very badly what is it about femme fatales in literature they always have to seduce people it's like, well, it's like the, male it's wish fulfillment it. it's the part of it femme fatale baby yeah I know it's just male wish fulfillment <laughs> anyway we're up to the last bits of the film Lindmer explains that Strange must choose whether to remain mortal or become the Sorcerer Supreme, foregoing ignorance, offspring, and a painless death. Strange decides... That sounds like um, joining the Black. Lots of Game of Thrones stuff in this. Foregoing offspring. Yep. What what, what they say by a painless death? They they mean like a certain death. You will die a painful death. Okay. Like there's no- Eschewing a painless death means you will die a painful death. That means you're like uh, conscripted to an army for the rest of your life or something like that, basically. That kind of thing. Uh, never mind, I'm reading too much into it. I get what they mean. I get what they mean. <laughs> they, they, by taking up this mantle, mm-hmm. you can't have any kids. Yep. Your death will be in service. It will be a painful death. I forget, I didn't. I can't remember what the first thing you said was. Eschewing... Ignorance, which is a... you know Ignorance. You, you, well, no, I mean, I think that's because... It's like the Spider-Man thing, isn't it? Mm. Like, um, you if you go around in the world with the power to do something and you keep seeing problems, you have to keep stopping them. Exactly. But me and you go around the world blissfully ignorant, really. We don't have to do a huge amount. Powered by we, it, mate. We Powered eat the hot dog. It. We eat the hot dog. We eat the hot dog. We see the, we see the fire engine go by and we eat the hot dog. God, Spider-Man 2. I love too. that film so much. I'm like, I'm like a Jehovah's Witness with that film. So people talk about it like, oh, oh, I don't like Tobey Maguire. He's whiny. And I go, shut up and rewatch it. There are so many good idiots. moments. They're just idiot people. That's all it is. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. But I like the amazing Spider-Man because Gar- Andrew Garfield's really handsome. Anyway, <laughs> Strange decides to protect humanity and Lindmer's power is transferred to him. Lindmer passes out. Wong then warns him that while he is now has Lindmer's powers, he does not yet have the knowledge or the wisdom to use them correctly. And that, that sounds insane. <laughs> no, it's irresponsible. And that of Strange is not extremely careful. He can harm himself or others. Strange thing. Um, I know we haven't talked to you about how this works yet, yeah, but yeah. here's the uh, nuclear codes. And this is the button you press to launch all the nuclear weapons. No, you don't have the experience or the foresight or the knowledge of how to use it yet. But there you go. Just play around with that. See what happens. Absolutely. If it, it does feel... Like they've they've glossed over a lot, but I'll ask a question about that in a bit. Strange then carries Lindmer in his arms and puts him into bed to recover. Strange is then shown at the hospital where many patients have been discharged. He leaves with Clear, who seems to have no memory of what happened other than as a bad dream. Lefay is suddenly shown on television, young again, posing as a self help guru. Clear fails to recognise her. Strange f- agrees to meet Clear later, and the film closes with him playing a trick on a street magician, turning the flower, the flowers the magician was going to produce using sleight of hand into a dove. I liked that at the end. I really did. That was that was a nice learning. But what I I I liked um, was that little twist at the ending with uh, with with the Fay coming back because that that felt like a promising lead into a show. Yeah, 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 definitely. So, in the original stories, how does Strange become the Sorcerer Supreme? Is it anything like this movie? No, he becomes the Sorcerer Supreme by killing his mentor. Because <laughs> he didn't become that in the in the film, the other film of Doctor Strange. He didn't become the Sorcerer Supreme, did he? He just no. became a sorcerer. 
yeah, that that's the it. start point in the comic books. He yeah. becomes a sorcerer, and the ancient one is still essentially teaching him and guiding him. Um, in the comic books, Strange and the Ancient One come under attack by um, servants of Shumagorath, mm. the the old one, one of the old gods, the extra dimensional god that we talked about with the tentacles and the eye. Mm. Um, who Shumagorath has ruled the earth for 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 millennia, um, but in 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 an, a forgotten age. Um, Shumagard sought to return to the world through the mind of the Ancient One. The Ancient One is the only being left in the mortal realm who remembers Shumagorath, who knows of his terrible... um, knows his history, knows of his terrible might, and fears it. And so that's how Shumagorath is going to return to the Earth realm. Doctor Strange has to enter the Ancient One's mind in order to confront the creature and, and stop this from happening. After fighting a losing battle with no hope for defeating Shumagorath, the Ancient One explains that um, Shumagorath cannot be allowed to return to the world. And the Ancient One pleads with Doctor Strange to kill him rather than allow Shumagorath passage to Earth. This is where Doctor Strange is different from a lot of other superheroes. Mm. He's not he he death and murder are generally off the table. Yeah. But he is the last line of defense. There is not a team of Avengers to help him. <laughs> they cannot handle or deal with any of this extra dimensional cosmic stuff. They can't. There's only him. And at this point, the Ancient One. But he now has no choice. He kills his mentor. He kills the Ancient One. It stops Shumagorath from from real, being realised in the mortal realm and, and coming back. Um, the Ancient One dies. And that makes Doctor Strange the most powerful mystic alive. And he inherits then the mantle of the Sorcerer Supreme. He inherits... Um, all of the uh, powers then of the the various patrons of the shanty mm. and becomes guardian of uh, the entire universe. So there we have it. The very first Doctor Strange movie, the first screen adaptation of that powerful character created by Steve Ditko and, uh, and Stanley so many years ago. 1978, the very first time that we're seeing a Marvel character being adapted in its heyday, in its mm. glory days, in its golden age. Will, I'd love to hear now, hand the reins over to you again and just take a step back and hear your final thoughts um, on this movie from a, you know, a, 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 a sort of a critical analysis perspective, not necessarily a comic book perspective. I know, I know, because I, uh, I, I'm very critical. It's. <sighs> This is the thing. We laugh at the datedness of this film. But do you know what? For a 70s TV movie, it isn't actually that bad. It's just lacking potential. It's not It's not a case of it's bad. It just lacks a lot of good things. And there was a lot of missed stuff here that could have really worked. The ending twist with Morgan Le Fay... I mean, it was an obvious twist to go with. But I thought it was a really good ending considering... The whole concept of her being part of this uh, spiritual wellness movement, I thought for the time would have been very current 
and that could have tied into like, oh, this could be like something that happened that's happening in the real world right now. I thought that was actually a very good twist for that reason, you know, very connected to real life. Uh, the soundtrack wavers between serviceable to utter trash. I know we're going to disagree on the soundtrack, but I just felt, uh, just didn't like it, just did not like it. And in some places it just got the, a bad reaction from me. Peter Hooten, the guy playing Doctor Strange, I, I kind of liked him. He wasn't bad, but he did feel a bit generic. But there was a certain charm about him where I like, I wouldn't mind seeing more of him. But he didn't exactly have the obvious star quality that you really look for in uh, an upcoming young actor who you then see in a major production or a major franchise. Uh, shame about no Stan Lee cameo. This is a film where he had a, apparently he had a lot of input in, didn't didn't do a cameo, which is annoying. The third act showed a lot of promise of what else could happen next. But unfortunately, and I know we've discussed it, it's all about leading people on with high concept. It was too little too late. There, by, by the time we've got to this point, we've seen a little glimpse of it. But a glimpse is not enough to power it, power it along to a full series or a franchise. It's very much a product of its time. It really shows that in, in, in each part of its production... Also, Wong could have could have been such a worse character, but as we said before in the production notes, they made him well-dressed and articulate without it being problematic. That is a victory in itself. That was really good. That was really good because they could have gone... Just imagine how bad they could have gone with that, but they didn't. He didn't stand out so well as a character, maybe, because he did seem a bit like a boring manservant, but still pretty good. As a whole, though, the film, it was daring. It was ambitious, but it missed the mark. Reading this for this episode, folks, um, there are some cool collections for the early 70s stuff that's called Doctor Strange, A Separate Reality. Um, and you can try to get those in, like, either... I think there's an epic collection and there's an essential collection and there might even be a Marvel Masterworks collection. Those all generally just mean different levels of um, quality um, with, with some of the epic collections there's um loads and loads of issues very thin paper um and the the more money you spend kind of the better the reproduction is for the cool vamp 70s vampire stuff check out dr strange the montessi formula m-o-n-t-e-s-i the montessi formula that's dr strange crossing over with them fighting dracula i love that stuff that's really cool for cool, clear stuff, I would check out the what's currently being produced now. Strange, um, being released by Marvel every month. Um, of course, you can you can do that in your local comic book shop, or you can use Marvel Unlimited um, as on your smart devices. Um, and if you want to see Doctor Strange in this kind of new superhero group that basically rescued him and saved him from obscurity, you can check out Defenders Volume 1. Again, there are epic collections and uh, essential collections and stuff like that. That's Doctor Strange... The Incredible Hulk, Namor the Submariner, they're quickly joined by the Silver Surfer, Valkyrie, and other uh, obscure characters from around the, the Marvel Universe. Um, lots of fun with that. Join us in the next episode, where we take on The Amazing Spider-Man 2, the second and, we thought, final installment of the Andrew Garfield movies. More importantly, a lens through which we can take a look at and give lots of time to perhaps the most important Marvel story of all time, the death of Gwen Stacy. We're looking at the end of the Silver Age. We're looking at the start of the Bronze Age, one of the most important chapters in Spider-Man's life. 
So join us for The Amazing Spider-Man 2. Thanks for listening to Marvel vs. Marvel. Please take the time to like us, rate us, subscribe, leave us a great review, recommend us to a friend. Check out our sponsors, offworldtees.com. And for more bonus content, head to patreon.com slash marvel vs. marvel.